Welcome to Skywave Audio Theater. I'm Norman Gilliland. We'll have plenty of Christmas goodies for you today, this week and next, in fact. Over the years, Gunsmoke produced several Christmas stories. Uh, The first of them is a kind of a homecoming story, and you'll get to hear all of the Gunsmoke family of characters in it, played by William Conrad, Parley Bear, Georgia Ellis, Harry Bartell, John Daner, and Howard McNear with Lawrence Dobkin, who played countless parts during the run of the series. This is Gunsmoke with Christmas Story from December 20th, 1952. Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, the story of a man who moved with it, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Everything was all right until about a mile north of the Cimarron. That's when my horse got a hoof caught in a frozen dog hole and broke his leg. So I had to shoot him. It made me feel awful bad. I didn't feel any better thinking about the walk ahead of me. Close to 40 miles to dodge and carry in my saddle all the way. Guess I'd been on the trail about an hour, near as I could figure it was around 3 in the afternoon. And I'd ease the saddle off my shoulders for a rest and a smoke. And that's when I saw the stranger riding up from the way I'd come. He was tall and thin. And his horse was taller and even thinner. And they made quite a pair. Hi. How are you? You lost? No. My horse busted his leg away back. I'm on my way to Dodge. Oh, that's your horse, huh? I saw it. Yeah. On your way to Dodge, huh? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you got any more of that tobacco? Yeah, sure. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. That's okay. A big walk you've got ahead, ain't it? <laughs> kind of. It's going to be dark soon. You figure making camp? Ah, that's the idea. Uh-huh. Well, it's too bad. Yeah. Do you need any food? No, 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 thanks. I, I got enough. Uh-huh. Well, I thank you for the tobacco. Sure. Anytime. Hey. The young? Not saying this beast won't drop dead from the shock, but do you want to climb on behind? Save you a piece of boot leather for a while, anyway. Why, well, I'd be much obliged if you think that animal of yours can carry us. Well, she won't mind. Should have been dead a long time ago, except she don't know it. She don't mind. Well, okay, thanks. Uh, here, will you hold my saddle till I get up, huh? Yeah, give it to you. Yeah. 
Right. Can you manage this saddle? Yeah, give it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, let's go. You heading for Dodge, too? Not in particular. Just north. Uh-huh. This beast will do about ten knots with the wind behind her, but we ain't going to get more than five with this load. You ain't in no hurry, I am. Well, I, I was kind of hoping to get back tonight. It's a Christmas Eve, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. That backbone of hers sticking it to you? Oh, no, it's okay. Thanks. Notice that tin doodjigger tied to you. You the law? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a U.S. Marshal. Uh, my name's Matt Dillon. That's so. Uh, I've never seen a Marshal on foot. <laughs> well, it happens sometimes. How is it you're down this way? Isn't it to mite off your course? Hmm? So you marshal down here as well as Dodge? No, no, I, I just took a prisoner across the Cimarron into Oklahoma Territory. Turned him over to the Army there. Did, uh... And then he shot up tight. We must have ridden a couple of miles without a word. I got to thinking about Dodge and Chester and Doc and Kitty and the rest of them. You know, there's something pretty special about any place at Christmas time. <laughs> the backbone of the stranger's nag was just about to split me in two when he talked up. My name is... Cowley. Yes, Cowley. Uh, better heave to a spell. She's breathing mighty hard. All right, hold up. Ah. Yeah, it's getting a little chilly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, could I trouble you for another smoke? Oh, sure, sure. Here you are. I thank you. Say, hmm? what's it like in Dodge? What? Dodge. What's it like? <laughs> oh, it's like any other town, I guess. Pretty big, huh? Well, yeah, I guess so. Not so big as New York, though. Oh, oh no, 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 not as big as that. You know, I haven't been in a big town now for more than ten years. Oh, is that so? No. Been down the territories... Drifting. Thought I'd move up north this time. Maybe go back east. Now you're from the east, huh? Some time back. Say, what's it like? What? Well, Dodge, any town. Uh, at Christmas. Same as it used to be? Well, I guess so. Uh, what do you do? Well, same as most people, I guess. What most people do at Christmas. Well, that ain't saying a lot. What are the folks like? And what does it look like? I, I just... I just kind of like to know. Well, I I don't know. Uh, well, there's Front Street. Uh, that's most of Dodge right now. Of course, it's getting bigger all do the time. Do you have any kids? No, no, I'm, I'm not married. Yeah. Kids have fun Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, they do. That, that's certain. And Dodge, they sometimes have a party for the kids. A couple of days before Christmas. 
Uh, kids like that. And then everybody gets feeling good, looking forward to Christmas Eve. Like last year. There was snow on the ground. But the sky was clear. You, you could even see the stars. I was going down the street to the Texas Trail to meet Doc and Chester. Uh, Chester, he's my deputy. Doc's a doctor in town. We had some work to do later on in the evening. You could uh, see the light shining behind the curtained windows. and Almost everybody had a sprig of holly berries hanging up. They got some from the east a couple of days earlier. I remember running into John Bumby. He's a kind of general handyman in Dodge. Never says much, but <laughs> he sure had a lot to say that night. Oh, hello, Marshal. Oh, hi, John. <clears throat> a lovely night for Christmas Eve, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, John. Yeah. Pretty fine night. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, <laughs> Mr. Dillon. Yeah, that's the way it should be, John. Um, you know, Marshal, this is going to be... Quite a night for me. Yes, sir. Oh, is that oh, so? Oh, yes, sir. Tonight, I'm asking Mrs. McNish to become Mrs. Bumby. What? Mm-hmm. What, well, John, I didn't know that. Oh, I know it's been a mighty fast secret, but I, I'm popping the question tonight. Well, oh. I wish you a lot of luck, John. Hey, I'll I tell you what. Come by to the Texas Trail later and... And we'll have a drink on it. Oh, I will. I really will, Marshal. <laughs> You're good and kind, Marshal. Good and kind. Merry Christmas, Marshal. Merry Christmas. Oh, uh, the same to you, John. That may sound kind of funny to you, but John Bumby's a good man. A little peculiar sometimes, but good as they come. And they don't make enough like him. Of course, most everybody in Dodge suspected Doc and Ms. McNish were sweet on each other. But it just goes to show you. Uh, I'll tell you about John and Ms. McNish a little later. So I went on down the street. You know, it's a funny thing about those words, Merry Christmas. Men say it to each other and... Well, it makes them feel kind of good. Yeah, I know what you mean. Used to be a seafaring man myself. When you're on the sea and it comes Christmas, things like that can... They can count a lot. Yeah. And we might as well get underway again, eh? Sure. You want to take my saddle? Give it here. Okay. Give it to me. Okay. Come. I guess... Guess you'll miss it in Dodge tonight, I mean, won't you? Well, if you could get a little more out of this nag of yours, we might make it tonight. Oh, there's not a chance. She'll be on her beam ends pretty quick. She's been on a long reach since sunup. Oh. Mighty bare country up this way. All right, depends on what you're used to, I suppose. Well, mighty bare where I've been, too. It's not like the sea. That's always different. How come you left it? I always heard a sailor doesn't ever get it out of his blood. Oh, the sea? I guess you can get it out of your blood, all right. You got the right reason you can. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, you trying to get something out of me? But, well, no. Get what? I, I would just remark... You want to ride with me? I don't want any talk about the sea. 
Well, you brought it up. I get it. Turn for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, tomorrow night, Jack Benny and his whole fun-making gang make a personal appearance at a Long Beach, California veterans hospital. It's going to be a Christmas they'll never forget, as Benny and the bunch cut loose while they assist the folks at the hospital in trimming their Christmas tree. Be sure to join the fun tomorrow night on CBS Radio, when it's Jack Benny time all across America. Now for the second act of Gunsmoke. Amos Cowley sulked his way along the trail for the next while. And then it was almost like he couldn't stand the quiet. Or maybe he had things on his mind. He turned his head. Go on. What? Go on. Tell me some more. Oh, about Dodge? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Well, you try some more. Well, uh... They got a little pine tree in the Texas a Trail. Tree. Yeah, come down a long way from the north. Uh, uh, Kitty Russell, she she's a hostess in the Texas Trail. Well, she she got a lot of ribbon and gewgaws and made it look real nice. That, that was last Christmas. A star at the top. A star? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It looked like a star, I guess. It sure looked pretty. And there was a well, a a, a difference in the place that day. Everybody was celebrating and feeling real good. The doors would swing open and somebody would come in and... You know, maybe somebody you just knew to nod at, but because it was Christmas Eve, he'd come right up and say, Hello. Oh, maybe that's a good reason, maybe not. I don't know. Anyhow, it was still kind of early. Kitty and Chester were standing off looking at the tree. Hi, Matt. Good evening, Mr. Dillon. Hi, Kitty. Chester. How do you like it, Matt? Christmas tree. That's oh, yours. that's real pretty. Only tree but one in the whole town. Yeah, Kate's got one over the Alphaganza. Oh, well, I'll have to see it later. Where, where, where's Sam? I don't know. Maybe he started celebrating too soon. Oh. Doc's taking over the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. You, you want a drink, yeah. Kitty? Well, sure. Yeah. All right, I'll get you a drink. I'll get you uh, You haven't forgotten anything, have you, Mr. Dillon? Forgotten? Uh, oh, what, Chester? There. What did I tell you, Miss Kitty? I knew just as sure as my nose that you Oh, that. No, no. I, I hadn't forgotten. Oh, well... I thought as soon as they get Sam sober enough to take care of the customers, we could go on over to Doc's like we planned. Sure, we'll do that, Chester. Here you are, Matt. Ah, thanks, Doc. Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, still snowing out? No, no, it's not. Uh, where are you going, Kitty? All right, just want to look outside. Ah, real pretty. Man.
man thinks of a lot of funny things that don't mean much. Kitty standing at the door, sniffing the cold air, and the warmth inside, and the whiskey in me. It, it, it was a good feeling. And then Chester and I decided to take a bottle over to Mr. Hightower. He's the telegraph operator over at the depot. He runs a printing shop on the side. Say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. Do you mind if I stop by the church for a minute? Well, no, I don't mind. I just feel kind of right tonight, Mr. Dillon. Figure out to thank somebody for it. Sure. So we stopped by the church. I've never been much of a man for church, I guess, but I went along with Chester. Wasn't anybody else there, just the two of us. Guess we sat for ten minutes in that place. Chester a little way off with his head bowed. You know, there's a lot of peace in a church, maybe. Maybe it's the quiet, maybe. Maybe it's the good that people find in there. Whatever it was, it made a man feel glad about pretty much everything. I haven't been in a church since I don't know when. Oh, is that so? I heaved to. Well, she's becalmed again, mister. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> she sure wasn't built for it, I'll tell you. You ever see anything like that? <laughs> yeah, she is kind of old, isn't well, she? I've had her going on eight years. She hasn't changed a mite. Eats like a pig and looks like a four-legged mizzenmist. <laughs> Smoke? Don't mind. Hey, what about that, uh... That fellow Hightower, did you get that bottle to him? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I guess it was lonely over in the depot all alone. He, he was glad for the company. There was a wood fire burning in the stove, but it didn't keep out the cold much. Well, how are you, gents? Merry Christmas. Well, Merry how's Christmas. it going, Mr. Hightower? Oh, slow, Marshal, slow. Bit of excitement about an hour back, though. That's huh? so? Yeah, 9.15 got stuck between here and Hutchison. Lots of snow back there. They getting her out? I'm sure they're trying, but <laughs> I'm sure glad I'm not on it. It's going to be a cold night on that train. Well, it's kind of chilly in here, isn't it, Mr. Hightower? Any warmer, and I'm going to sleep. It will say we brought you over a bottle of Irish for company. <laughs> Jameson's, well, I declare I was just thinking about a tot before you boys come in. Now, that's real <laughs> friendly. Will you have a drink with me? We sure will. Let's open her up, huh? A couple of glasses up on the shelf there, Chester. Get them down, will you? I don't know if you get an idea about the folks in Dodge or not. They, they're not any different than any other people. Or the town either. Uh, I guess maybe it's a pretty small place at that. The depot, the hall, a few stores, a church, Doc's office, a Texas trail, Alifaganza, my office. Uh, well, not much, but... Hey, it, it's where you live, you know? Sounds all right. I lived in a town once back east. 
small. I know what you mean. Well, maybe you'll be going back. Maybe. Say, the kids, they still believe in St. Nick? Oh, sure. Mighty few kids down where I've been. Injun kids, they don't believe in St. Nick. No reason they should, I guess. I used to believe in it, you know that? Well, I guess most people did one time or another. Hey, you figure we come maybe ten miles? Maybe. Yeah, it's getting dark. Yeah. Well, come on. You want to... You want to ride the saddle for a bit? Oh, no, no. I, uh, that's okay. Well, then okay. We rode on, and I thought about last year, about Kitty, Doc, and Chester and me... Going over to Doc's place after Doc got tired at Tended Bar at the Texas Trail. It was about a quarter to midnight, and we stood around and sang Christmas carols. And I, I remember how it sounded that night. How it looked. The glow in the stove in the middle of the room. And, uh, and the frosty windows... Christmas Eve, all right. So What do you say if we... Listen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I feel sentimental. That's exactly what I feel. I feel sentimental. I know what you mean, Doc. I surely know. Okay, Doc. Bring him out. And I remember how Doc scuttled over to the bureau and brought out some packages. The presents weren't much, but it didn't matter what they were. And when we'd finished opening them, it was Chester who said what we were all thinking. I just... I I, I just want to say... Miss Kitty, Doc, you, Mr. Dillon... I just want to say that this is the best doggone Christmas I ever had. And and that's what I want to say. Say, you was going to tell me about that, uh, that fellow John was caught in that woman. What was her name? Oh, yeah. Ms. McNish. That's right. Well... She said yes, and you've never seen two happier people in your whole life. Yeah, she's Ms. McNish Bumpy now. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, you know, you might settle for a bit in Dodge or you could get work there. Sure would be fine if you could get back tonight, wouldn't it? Well, it, it can't be helped. I'd be a lot further away and a sight more tired if you hadn't come along. Yeah. <laughs> Now, listen, 
How far do you figure before there's a place you might pick up a horse? Oh, I don't know, 15 miles or so, maybe. Oh, we're not going to make any 15 miles in this nag tonight, that's for sure. Oh, that's all right. Now, I tell you what. You go on alone, do you see? Oh, no, forget it. Now, you it. go I... on alone. She'd hold out with one man on her. And then you get a fresh horse and you ride into Dodge tonight. Well, thanks. That's now, very I'm kind. telling you, I want you to go. I'll be fine. I've walked before. Probably make it almost as quick as you... Look, it's, it's real nice of you, Mr. Cowley, but no thanks. Now, now, Christmas don't mean nothing to me. You've got friends waiting for well, you. Well, I'll see them tomorrow. Ah, you're a fool. Well, that may be. All of them nice folks, you're going to make them feel pretty bad. Uh, look, I'll stay. If you want to go on along, uh, uh, thanks for the ride. Well... Might as well make camp, then. I guess so. And listen, you want to tell me some more about uh, what you were telling me before we turn in? Well, sure. I but... take it kindly, mister. I'll get yourself settled. I got some stuff in my pack we can eat and maybe get a fire going. Then after we eat, you can tell me some more. We made a fire and then shared what we had for supper. He seemed to soften up after that, and we talked for a couple or three hours. It was like he was starved for news of people, everyday things, and just plain company. And that's how we spent Christmas Eve together out on the plane. And then when the fire was dying down and I was about ready for sleep, he said, Marshal. Yeah? I want to tell you something. I've been needing to tell it for a long time. Do you mind? Well, of course I don't mind. Well, then I'll tell you. A few years ago, I was skipper of a little schooner. It used to sail up and down the East Coast, you know, Boston, New York. Yeah. Well, one night, we hit dirty weather off New Jersey. Real dirty. Blew us off course, and we piled up on the rocks and knocked the bottom out. That's too bad. There was 18 passengers aboard, Marshal. Four of them was kids. We never saw him again. No. And my own... My own wife and my kid went down, too. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, no. Something must have happened to me after that. I didn't want nothing to do with... with ships or the sea. And I started to drift out this way. I couldn't forget, though, do you know? And I didn't want to be near folks. Especially kids... To remind me, do you know? Yeah. Well, that's how come I've been slewing around ever since. Sure, I understand. Just kind of wanted to get it off my chest. Sure. Marshal, I'd like to ride into Dodge with you tomorrow. You think I might meet some of them folks you were telling about? Why? <laughs> I don't see why not. That it'd be all right. Maybe I wouldn't need to drift no more. Maybe I could... Uh, <laughs> drop anchored, you know. Yeah, you might at that. Yes. Well, good night. Good night. Merry Christmas, Marshal. Merry Christmas, Mr. Cowley. 
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, with Harry Bartell and John Daner, Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night, Edgar Bergen's real-life daughter Candy pays him and you a visit on the Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. Candy and Charlie hit it off fine, but Edgar has cause to regret his hasty decision to invite his six-year-old daughter into the show, especially when she starts throwing her voice. Sounds like fun tomorrow night on most of these same stations when CBS Radio presents The Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Eve Arden is our Miss Brooks, teaches you how to laugh every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network. to accompany Matt Dillon and a mysterious man of the sea on what must have been a very tired horse. And think about carrying that saddle for 40 miles. Well, it's a good thing the horse and rider came along. That was the first of the Christmas stories from Gunsmoke. It came from December 20th, 1952. And you got to hear the whole cast singing a Christmas carol. What if somebody gives you a much better Christmas present than you got for them? Well, that's the dilemma for The Great Gildersleeve, next, here on Skywave Audio Theater. In the early days of World War II, producers of radio comedies had to figure out how to, well, come to terms with the national obsession. They came to the conclusion that the best way to serve the cause was to continue doing what they had been doing all along, giving the country a much-needed diversion and a sense of stability of life going on. And so it was with The Great Gildersleeve, and in the department of life as usual, some things never change at Christmas time. This is the Great Gildersleeve from December 21st, 1941. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Each week at this time, from Hollywood, California, Kraft presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. 
We'll hear from the great Gildersleeve in just a moment. But first, I wonder what you mean when you use the word progress. Because here's what I mean. Progress means making the old things better and inventing new things that are better than the old. Well, that applies to foods as well as to other things. And modern margarine is an outstanding example. Yes, modern margarine, like parquet margarine made by Kraft, is certainly a lot different from the margarines of even just a few years ago. Yes, all you have to do is to try parquet margarine once to know it's different and better because it tastes so deliciously good. That's why parquet margarine is a favorite everywhere, both for table use and for cooking, too. Now, you all know that proper nutrition is necessary to national defense. Well, parquet margarine is a wholesome, highly nutritious food. In fact, it's one of the best sources of food energy you could serve. And every pound contains 9,000 units of important vitamin A. So get acquainted with this nourishing modern margarine. Delicious parquet margarine made by Kraft. Remember, it's parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. Uh, uh, let me have some more of that green paper, Rilleroy. Uh, uh, thanks. Say, hey, who are you sending that necktie to? It's for Cousin Clinton in Iowa. Leroy, you can't do that. He's the one who sent you that tie last year. Oh. Well, in that case, I'll mail it to Uncle Stanley. Oh, no. Uncle Stanley gave it to Cousin Clinton the year before. Well, Uncle Mort, how do you know? Because I gave it to Uncle Stanley four years ago. Oh, are you sure it's the same tie? Oh, positively, Marjorie. I'd know those purple stripes and those orange dots anyplace. But, gee, what'll I give Cousin Clinton? Oh, I think we can skip him this year if we send him a Christmas card. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Llewellyn? Yes, Miss Marjorie. Be sure to address a card to our Cousin Clinton, will you please? Yes, ma'am, right away. Yes, say... How are you coming along with the addressing in the ceiling, Llewellyn? Well, I'm a widow Gwoggy. Yeah? I feel as if I'd whipped my weight in Christmas seals. <laughs> I wish they'd get some different flavored glue, like strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, or lime. <laughs> They'll come to that, Llewellyn. You're just a little ahead of time. <laughs> Here, Leroy, what are you doing? Me? Oh, I just thought I'd see what's in this package Piggy Banks gave me. But, Leroy, if Mark don't open until Christmas. Yes. Haven't you any self-control or willpower, young man? Don't you realize that if you opened all your gifts ahead of time, when Christmas morning came around, you wouldn't have a single toy left to uh, a break? But, gee, I caught Marjorie sniffing around the present you gave her, Uncle Mort. I was not, Leroy. Or two. I just happened to drop it, and I was afraid it might be perfume. Oh, yes. Well, it's not perfume. It's a whoops. I almost told you then. Now, both of you children stop acting childish. Let me alone while I wrap this present. It's for Fibber McGee. I've already sent Molly McGee a big bottle of perfume, so I... Better get Fibber McGee's present in the mail for Wistful Vista tonight. Oh, what did you get for him, Uncle Mort? Something he needs badly. An electrical pants presser. <laughs> it's a neat little gadget, isn't it? Although I doubt if it'll make much of an impression on those gunny sacks McGee wears. <laughs> you think that's enough of a gift for Mr. McGee? Why not? Cost me 39 cents at the cut-rate drugstore. 39 cents? Yeah. But I thought Mr. McGee was a close friend of yours. He is, Leroy. He's the closest friend I've got. <laughs> I'm not speaking geographically or intimately. I'm speaking financially. I never knew that. Well, he isn't exactly tight. He's more of the borrow a tool today and return when rusty type. 
The more I think about the things McGee has borrowed, the less I think of him. Who does he imagine he is? The doorbell? I mean the doorbell. It's ringing. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it. Uh, yes? Is this your domicile at Trockmorton P. Gillisleeve? It, it is. This is it, shorty. Okay, look. Hey, this is plenty heavy. Hey, where do you want this box, mister? Uh, put it right down here for now. <laughs> What's in it, uh, mister? Just keep your shirt on, will you, buddy? Oh, yeah. Are you ready, Spike? Yeah, let's get this over with. All right. A one, a two, a three. Oh, Gildersleeve, oh, Gildersleeve, oh, oh, Merry Christmas to you. you. Singing expressman, eh? Yeah, yeah. We are something in the nature of an experiment. Oh, I yeah. see. <laughs> You're doing it for the company to see if it's satisfactory, yeah? Uh-huh. Oh, no, we're doing it for the men to see if it's remunerative. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, I get it. Well, here you are, boys. A dime for each of you. A dime? Why, Spike, this guy ain't got no respect for music. Yeah. But he sure got a lot of respect for money. Yeah. Well, I never saw a box so hard to get open. Oh. Must have taken me an hour. Yeah. Now to see what Fibber McGee has sent me. What is it, Uncle Moore? Huh? Yes, yes. Gee, another box. Yeah? And all done up with Christmas wrappings and stuff. Oh, my goodness. Hand me the hatchet again, Leroy. Oh, no, no, Unc. Can't you see what it says? Where? Who? Oh, uh, don't open till Christmas. And this means you will kill the old snoop. <laughs> 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 McGee never means what he says. Uh, the hatchet, please, Leroy. But, Uncle Mort, where's your willpower? Yes, and how about your self-control? Oh, they're fine. It's my curiosity has got the best of me. <laughs> Oh, gee, let me take one little peek, will you, huh? Now who's acting childish, Uncle Mort? Yeah, you're right, Marjorie. I wasn't setting you a good example. Hand me some of that ribbon and I'll get this pants presser off to my old chum. Oh, what am I saying? I can't send McGee this dinky little present now. Why not? Because that box probably contains a large, valuable gift for me. Alongside of it, my cheap little crease iron will look like, uh, well, 39 cents. What do you think you should do, Uncle? i better go right downtown and get him something better. Oh, I think that's very nice of you, Uncle Moore. It sure is. I think so, too. Uh, now, in order to get an idea of how much McGee spent so I won't spend any more, uh, don't you think I should take one quick little look as to what he sent me? No! Uh, all right, I was just suggesting. Say, if you're going downtown, you better hurry up. It's getting late and the stores are awfully overcrowded. Oh, I won't have any trouble. Get your cap and coat, Leroy. I'll be right with you. Are you taking Leroy through those mobs with you? Yes, Marjorie. He and I have worked out a wonderful system for Christmas shopping. Haven't we, Leroy? I'll say. What kind of a system? Uh, it's called the angle worm formation. Leroy goes ahead and figures out an angle, and I worm my way through. 
ritzy store. Yes. Haven't I always said that the best is none too good for Fibber McGee? Well, how do you do, sir? What will it be? Uh, I'm looking for a present for a friend. Do you think he might like a half dozen imported cravettes? Say, uh, what's a cravette? A cravat is a necktie that sells for $5, Leroy. No, I, I'd like to get him a more substantial gift. Oh, here's something. Maybe he'd like a dressing gown or a robe, huh? Why, yes, we have some lovely ones. Say, in the neighborhood of $100. Have you got anything in a cheaper neighborhood? <laughs> well, here are a few in the vicinity of $60. Oh, yes, yes. This brown silk one would be exactly the right thing. If you have it in a smaller size and some other color and a different material and a little less expensive. <laughs> well, then I'll have to go back in the stock room and see what we have there. If you'll just wait a moment. Yeah, don't worry. Yes. Quit trying on those derbies, Leroy. You can never tell who wore them before you did. But I only wanted to see how I looked in one, Unc. How can you see when they come to, down to your nose on you? Now, just stand still. Oh, please. just the sort of person I'm looking for. Oh, uh, excuse me, sir, but there's a little favor I'd like to ask of you. Uh, certainly, madam. What can I do for you? Well, if you see that man standing over there at the sweater counter. Oh, you mean the funny-looking gent with the bat-wing ears and the dirty look? Has he been annoying you? No, he's my husband. Oh, he is? Oh, well, I didn't mean that nice-looking chap. I, I was talking about the one in the checkered overcoat standing next to him. Uh, the fat guy that looks like a cross between a scow and a barge. That's the one who's my husband, sir. Oh. You see, I want to surprise him with his pretty blue robe for Christmas. Oh. But I don't know if it's the right size for him, so I thought that being that you two are of the same build... What? You think I'm as chubby as that tubby? No. Oh, now, please. Please, I don't want him to suspect a thing. Why don't you help the lady out, Uncle Moore? Huh? Yes, why not? Here, let me have it, madam. Uh, hold it up, Leroy. Okay. Uh, thanks. Uh, oh, this is so nice of you, really. Not at all. Uh, would you care to have me parade up and down like one of those models? Oh, no. No, thank you. Now, uh, just tie the belt. Yeah. Oh, there. Now, turn around, please. Yeah? Oh, dear. What's wrong? Is my slip showing? <laughs> well, either I picked the wrong size or else you're stouter than my husband. No, see here, lady. Well, we can soon see. I have a tape measure here in my bag somewhere. Tape measure? I know Leo's size. Oh. See. Oh, yes, here it is. Now, if you'll just put your arms up, I'll slip this tape around your waist and find out what size. Hey, Leach, what are you doing with your arms around that man? Oh, oh, my goodness. Huh? He mustn't find out about the surprise. What? Uh, pretend that you're my, uh, my cousin George. I said, why are you hugging this fellow, Fanny? Oh, uh, why, uh, Leo, it's cousin George. I haven't seen him for years. You don't blame me for being glad to see my own cousin, do you? No, not at all. Glad to meet you, George. The pleasure's, the pleasure's, the pleasure's all mine. Voice still changing, huh? Yeah. Well, George, Fanny's told me all about you, but I always picked you as a different man. Well, I was a different man up till quite recently. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's just too bad that Cousin George is just passing through town and can't stop over for a visit. Huh? Aren't you, Cousin George? Who? Oh, me? Oh, yes, Cousin George. I just happen to be driving Driving? Through. I thought you hated automobiles. Uh, do I? Yeah, didn't the automobile ruin your horse collar business? Oh, I don't know, did it? Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> but I'm not one to hold a grudge. You're not? Well, not more than 20 years, anyway, Hey, that reminds me. What's happened to Francis these days? Uh, Francis? Oh, he, he's all right. He? Since when is Francis a he? I mean, she's just dandy. Uh, I talked to her long distance only last night. Talk to her? How can you talk long distance to a horse? Well, you pick... <laughs> Oh, oh, that Francis. Yes. I thought you meant the other Francis. You know, the one I mean, don't you, Cousin Fanny? Of course. Your wife. Yeah, my what? 
I never knew you were married, George, old boy. Oh, well, it's uh, all sort of a secret. We eloped uh, to Niagara Falls. Niagara... <laughs> Niagara Falls! <laughs> boy, that's a hot one! <laughs> What's so hot about Niagara Falls? Well, uh, Leo just thinks it's funny that you'd elope to Niagara Falls when you've lived right there all your life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry, I can't stand around here, folks. I've got to catch a train. What about your automobile? I hate him again. Come on, Leroy. I'm coming, Pappy. So that was your cousin George, well, Manny. And you got the nerve to criticize my Oh, dear. Wait a minute, Uncle Mort. Where are we going? Out. Let's get away from there before that gorilla gets hep. But it's just... He'll ring my neck. How do I manage to get into such affairs? It was Cousin Fanny that did it. Where are you taking me, Uncle Mort? As far away as our chubby little legs will carry us. Now, don't feel dally-dally, Leroy. But, Gio, you can't scram like this. I can't, huh? Why not? Why, George, it was a lucky thing I kept calm and cool all through that encounter. But, Uncle Mort... What have you been but Uncle Morning about, Leroy? Come out with it. I've been trying to tell you all along. We've got to go back to the store. Why? You're still wearing that baby blue bathrobe. Oh! Oh, there they are now, Mr. Llewellyn. Oh, yeah. Hello, Uncle Mort. Hello, Leroy. Uh, hello. Did you get something nice for Mr. McGee? No, we had a terrible time. I haven't been pushed around so much since my baby carriage days. Gosh, you never saw so many places out of so much stuff that so many people wanted so bad. Uh, what sort of present were you working for? Well, well, something unusual and expensive that he doesn't have already. Yeah. Uncle Mort almost got a dandy baby blue bathrobe, but after he took it outside to see how it looked in the daylight, he took it back. Yeah. Well, we'll go down and try it again tomorrow. Maybe you'll come along, Marjorie, to help me. Say, there's something missing in this room. I was wondering how long it would be before you noticed the difference. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is it? Come, come, Llewellyn, don't be coy. What have you done? I took Mr. McGee's present, whacked it out of here, and walked it in a wampus womb closet. Uh, (laughs) You did, eh? And why did you do that? Oh, just so you could resist opening it before Christmas. Well, that took a lot of nerve. Oh, no, it just took a lot of strength. <laughs> Believe me, before I was fool, I bitterly regretted starting the whole proposition. Uh, Willie, I was a wreck. Yes, Mr. Llewellyn worked quite hard. Llewellyn, the next time you poke your probing proboscis into my personal affairs, I'm going to take a swing at it. What was that, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> if you fool around with something that's no skin off your nose, why, by George, it will be. Oh, please, Mr. Gildersleeve, don't lose your temper. Uh, who's losing their temper? But you're raising your voice. Who's raising their voice? You, you're just angry because I hit your present. Oh, is that so? I suppose you know everything that's going on in my mind. <laughs> yep, I can read you like a dictionary. Yes. If you can read me like a dictionary, why don't you turn to the letter D and under discharged? You'll find that's where you are. Why, Mr. Gildersleeve, what do you mean? I mean that you're fired, dismissed, finished, sacked. Now, do you understand? Well... All right. That's the way you feel. Goodbye. Goodbye, Miss Marjorie. Goodbye. Goodbye, we boy. Goodbye, Mr. Llewellyn. What's he getting so huffy about? I never saw such an excitable fellow in all my life. But the man has got no Christmas spirit. Making me fire him right before the holidays. He didn't get his pay, did he, Uncle Moore? By Jove, that's right. You better run after him, Leroy, and tell him to come back for his money. Okay, Uncle Moore. Uh, and Leroy. Yes, Uncle? Uh, tell him if he... Uh, behaves himself, he can come back to work. Sure. Uh, you had no right getting me all worked up after a hard day shopping. 
I'm not an unreasonable man, am I, Marjorie? Of course not, Uncle Moore. Yeah, I'm just as nice as the next man. Sometimes nicer, too. I couldn't see him anywhere, Uncle Moore. You mean he's gone? Well, it was snowing rather hard. Oh, jumping jeeps, I've turned him out into the cold with only a thin Macintosh. Oh, now don't you worry, Uncle Mort. Let's call him at his hotel tomorrow after you've both cooled off. Yes, of course. Oh, I can't do that. I don't know where he lives. Uh, do either of you? No, I don't think so. Not me. Oh, my goodness. I'm a cad. I'm a bounder. No, not a bounder, just a cad. <laughs> I won't be able to look myself in the face the next time I shave. What'll I do? Say, maybe Bertie knows where he lives. Oh, yes, Bertie. Maybe she does. I'll go find out. Uh, Bertie? Yes, sir? Do you know where... Llewellyn, what are you doing here? Oh, just eating my supper, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh! <laughs> No use, Leroy. They're booking passage on those elevators a couple of days in advance. Uh, let's wander into the furniture department. Well, we've looked every place else for a present. Maybe we'll find something there. Yes. I wasn't thinking about Fibber McGee's present, Marjorie. I only wanted to rest. My feet ache clear up to my shoulder blades. Oh. Poor Uncle Mort. Yes. Look, here's a nice big leather chair. Huh? Try it, why don't you? Oh, thank you. I will. Uh, very comfortable. Now, if I could only take my shoes off, but there I go, daydreaming again. Hey, look at the buttons on the arm of this chair. Huh? I wonder what this one does. Ooh, 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 ooh. Help me, the chair is now a bed. Oh, Leroy, now look what you've done. Gee, the back goes down and the bottom comes up. Here, I'll give you a hand, Uncle. You know, on second thought, this is so nice, I think I'll take 40 winks. <laughs> Wake me up in 1942, will you? Uncle, you can't sleep there. Oh, yes, I can. Watch me. Hey, this is certainly a great invention. Now, I wonder what this button does. Oh, you spoiled everything. It's a chair again. How do, folks? Interested in the Snorwell reclining chair? Oh, is that what it is? Well, a mighty cozy little one-man couch. And an ideal Christmas present for father, husband, friend, or boss. Uncle McGee, how about it? Yes, Uncle McGee, how about it? Yes. <laughs> See, that's not a bad idea. In fact, it's the best one I've had so far. Let me tell you about some of the Snorwell features. Oh. Three comfy, cuddly positions. Yes? Sitting, snoozing, and sleeping. Made of the toughest bull leather. Overstuffed, underslung. Why, you couldn't be more tickled if you bought a feather bed. Huh? Buy one for the rest of your life. Catch on? Yes. Oh, brother. Now, there's a salesman. What do you think, Uncle Moore? Well, how much is it? Thirty-nine ninety-five. That's without any of the accessories and attachments, of course. Oh, yeah. You mean it's got attachments like a vacuum cleaner? Yes, sir. The Snorwell is a first fully mechanized chair. Well, I'm interested now. This is for a friend of mine who is rather mechanically minded. Yes? Yes, he invented an illuminated sundial once. For cloudy days, you know. <laughs> huh? No, you wouldn't know. <laughs> Let me show you these features. Uh, Here's the overhead reading lamp, uh, also dandy for shaving. Just... Then we have a combination ashtray and cigar lighter that appears and disappears at the touch of a button. Uh, what does it do with the ashes? Dump them under the rug? Uh, we also have an electric clock and a compartment for sandwiches with a tank for ice water. Yeah. Gee, it does everything but sing you to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> It'll do that, too. What? For $24 more, we'll put a little radio inside the headrest. My goodness, if you tack a mailbox on the side of this chair, you could live in it. Oh, this one seems a little damaged. Look at this crack in it. Crack? Yeah. That is no crack. What? 
It's a slot for old Razor Blade. Yeah. Gosh, do you know, Uncle, the more I hear about it, the more I'm convinced that this is just the present for Mr. McGee. So am I. A young man, how much did one cost with all the accessories? Well, the Super Deluxe Shoot the Works model sells for $119.95. Oh, my dear. But what do you think, children? Oh, yes, take it. What do you got to lose? $119.95. <laughs> well, I guess I'll do it just the same. Gee... I knew I'd sell one of these someday. What? Uh, <laughs> uh, where is it to be delivered, sir? It goes to Pippa McGee, 79 Whistle Vista, Whistle Vista. Yeah. Can you have it delivered there before Christmas? Yes, sir. We can send it out by express this afternoon. Yeah, good. Uh, charge it to Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Uh, here's my card. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve, and season's greetings. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, come on, you two. We can go home now. Certainly is a load off my... Well, hello, Judge Hooker. Uh, Christmas shopping, I see. Oh, hello, Gildersleeve. How are you, Marjorie? Just fine, Judge Hooker. Season's greetings, Judge. Thank you. You all look so happy, there can only be one reason. Yeah? You just finished buying the last of your holiday gifts. Yes, that's it. And it certainly was a humdinger. Yes, sir, it was for... Leroy, let's keep it a secret. It was for a certain very good friend of mine, Judge. Oh, yeah? Yes, yeah, a real pal, you know. <laughs> well, we'll be seeing you. Come on, children. Let's make another try for the elevator. Uh -huh. Say, could that present be for me? After all, I have been a pal to him. I'd just like to know. <clears throat> Young man. Yes, sir? What, uh, I was, uh, my friend who was just here, he mm. told me what he bought, but it slipped my mind. What was it again? Oh, it was a present. A Snorwell reclining chair with $80 worth of accessories. Well, well, that must be for me. Gildersleeve broke the springs in my best lounge chair, and now he's making up for it. Say, now I'll have to get him something better than that flashlight I bought him for Christmas. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Gee whiz. So that's Pippa McGee. <laughs> going on in this house? <clears throat> Sounds like somebody's raising a rumpus in the rumpus room. I'm going to investigate. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm so brave. In fact, I don't know if I'm so brave. I better stop here in the kitchen first. <laughs> now I feel better. Peculiar how much confidence a couple of carving knives gives a lady. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. I got you surrounded. I mean, I got you covered. Uh, Bernie, what are you doing here at this time of the night? Oh, Mr. Gilsley. Oh, my goodness. I thought it was a burglar. Uh, oh, my stars in the firmament. That was a burglar. Uh, What's that all chopped up, Mr. Gilsley? Oh, chopped up? Oh, well, that's uh, the present Mr. McGee sent me... Uh... Oh, then that means there wasn't no burglar no how. Huh? Honest or truly, Mr. Gilsey, you ought to be ashamed of yourself what? scaring folks at 3 a.m. in the morning and sneaking around in your pajamas, uh. snooping at your Christmas presents ahead of time. Lucky I caught you before you got it open. Now, you go on back to bed. Yeah, but Bertie... Go on, now, get. You understand what that is? No. You what? know what you is? No, what? 
You is a problem uncle. That's what. Is Good night. <laughs> Judge Hooker, yes. Come right in, Judge. I'm still a few days early, but I couldn't wait. Uh, Merry Christmas, Gildersleeve. Well, well, and what's this? Oh, just a little present I picked out for you, Gildy old pal. Uh, for me? Oh, <laughs> well. <laughs> what is it, Judge? A set of matched golf clubs in the leather bag. Oh, Judge, you shouldn't have done it. By the way, I've got something for you. Oh, no. Well, I didn't expect anything. Well, it isn't very much. Oh, I bet it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I had it right here in the hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here it is. This little box. Huh? Uh. This little box? Huh? Oh. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Gildy. Oh, won't you come in and look at our tree, Judge? No, no, I've got to be getting along now. I uh, feel a, a headache coming on. Oh. <laughs> goodbye. Uh, goodbye, and thanks for the wonderful present, old pal. Welcome. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Say, Marjorie, look at the dandy golf outfit Judge Hooker gave me for Christmas. Oh, look at that. It's beautiful. Uh, what did you give him, Uncle Moore? The pants presser. I almost sent to McGee. <laughs> Oh, sure. Come on, Marjorie. Uh, what is it, Leroy? Look at this. Somebody tried to get into the box filled with McGee San Uncle Moore. Oh, why, yes. Chips uh, and splinters all around and holes in the box. Uh, why, who could have done it, Uncle? Uh, a mice. Uh, <laughs> hey, we better take a look inside and see if it's damaged any. But it's still four days till Christmas, Uncle. Well, but who knows what's happened to it. We better act quickly. Uh, let me have that hatchet. Uh, thank you. Uh, of course, you know, I'd never open it under ordinary circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Ah, there. Yeah, put the lid someplace, Leroy. Yeah. Well, everything's all right so far. Uh, at last. I'm so excited I can hardly tear off the wrappings. <laughs> now, now we can see what we can see. What's this? Oh, a card. Uh, Dear Chum Gildy. Oh, good old fibber. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And here's your old lawnmower back. Signed, Fibber McGee. The great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. You know, people who won't try new things certainly miss a lot. Yes, you just can't know whether you really like something or not until you actually try it yourself. That's why I urge everyone to try delicious parquet margarine made by Kraft. Because you're really missing something if you haven't tried this truly modern margarine. First of all, you're missing the delicate appetizing flavor that makes parquet margarine outstanding. Why, Americans from coast to coast have found they prefer parquet margarine because it tastes so good, both for table use and for cooking, too. Secondly, parquet margarine is an economical source of food values your family needs. Now, that's very important these days. Proper nutrition is essential to national defense. You see, parquet margarine is wholesome and nutritious. It's one of the best energy foods you could serve. And especially important in the wintertime, Kraft adds 9,000 units of vitamin A to every pound of parquet, making it a dependable source of this vitamin the year round. Now, with food prices rising, you owe it to yourself to find out how delicious and nourishing economical parquet margarine is. So don't put it off. Ask your food dealer tomorrow for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. 
of all, they... hand me those pajamas, Leroy. Here you are. Yeah, thanks. And to think that now that extra shirt, Marjorie. It's in the bag already, Uncle. Oh, well, I'll show him a thing or two. Excuse me, Uncle Moore, but where are you going? To Whistle Vista, my dear. I'm going to try and get back my $119 chair before it's delivered to Pepper McGee's house. You aren't going to be way over Christmas, are you? Oh, no, I'm just going to be there Tuesday night. And remind me on the way to the station. I've got to stop at the cut-rate drugstore. What for? To get McGee another pants presser. Merry Christmas, everybody, and good night. <laughs> Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That giddy stock clerk sounded a lot like a young Dick Kalmar, soon to be radio's Boston Blackie. The great Gildersleeve and friends jumped through some hoops to get the Christmas presents to come out even and did not quite get there, but hey, not everybody can have a pants presser at any price. The broadcast came from December 21st, 1941. Right around the corner, it's 34th Street and a miracle in the making here on Skywave Audio Theater. New Yorker Valentine Davies wrote the story about a Christmas store Santa Claus who claims to be the real thing. The 1947 film starred Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Natalie Wood, a very young Natalie Wood, and Edmund Gwynn. Miracle on 34th Street won three Academy Awards. Gwynn for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Valentine Davies for Best Writing Original Story, and George Seaton for Best Writing Screenplay. Lux Radio Theater wasted no time in getting a radio version on the air. From December 22, 1947, this is the Lux Radio Theater with Miracle on 34th Street. Greetings from Washington, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, I wish I could be with you in person. But we've been busy all this past week filming scenes here at the FBI headquarters. Meanwhile, I know you're in capable hands with a cast of tonight's great screenplay, Miracle on 34th Street, from my home studio, 20th Century Fox. We are particularly gratified to have the original stars of the picture, Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwynn, and Natalie Wood. Miracle on 34th Street takes up a question as old as the spirit of Christmas itself. Is there a Santa Claus? And answers that question very happily. This Christmas week, when most of us think of Lux Flakes as a friendly gift, I'm in the position of thanking Lux Flakes for a friendly gift. The opportunity to be with you at this Christmas presentation through the magic medium of radio. But I imagine many of you housewives feel grateful also, if for different reasons. Lux Flakes, I'm sure, hold out to you the gift of greater leisure, longer life for your precious fabrics, added sparkle to your silverware and dishes. And here's another present to you from Lux, as our curtain rises on Act One of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris Kingle, and Natalie Wood as Susan Walker. It's Thanksgiving Day in New York City, 
On Fifth Avenue, adjoining Central Park, an annual event is being joyfully awaited. The spectacular parade presented by Macy's Department Store to herald in the Christmas season. A little away from the crowd are two of Macy's public relations experts. He's simply wonderful, Mrs. Walker. Just look at him on that float. The most realistic Santa Claus we've ever had. Why, he didn't even need any padding, did he? Padding? Well, didn't you notice his tummy? So round, so firm, so fully packed. Well, now that everything's under control, where on earth did you find him? I don't know. I just turned around and there he was. And to think that the man whose place he took was, was intoxicated. With a breath that would knock over a reindeer. Oh, what if Mr. Macy had seen him? What if Mr. Gimble had seen him? Competition between our stores is tough enough as it is. Well, the parade's starting. Let's stand at the curb. Not I, Mr. Shellhammer. I'm going home and relax. Anyway, I can see it from there. I live just around the corner. Oh, so you do. Well, see you tomorrow, Mrs. Walker. And congratulations on finding the best Santa Claus in Macy's history. Certainly is a wonderful parade, Susan. Just look at that clown. Gosh, what a giant. Giant, Mr. Gailey? There are no such things as giants. Well, not now, maybe, but in olden days, there's... Really, a... Mr. Gailey? And you a lawyer? Well, what about the giant that Jack killed? You know, Jack and the Beanstalk? Everybody knows that's a fairy tale. And I agree with my mother. Fairy tales are silly. Oh. Come in. Good afternoon. I'm Susan's mother. My maid said... Hello, that... mother. I'm watching the parade. Mr. Gailey invited me. Hello, darling. Susie's told me quite a lot about you, Mrs. Walker. She's told me quite a lot about you, too, the man in the front department. <laughs> this is all part of a plot, Mrs. Walker. I'm very fond of Susie, but uh, I also wanted to meet you. Well, at least you're frank. Santa Claus! Don't even mention the name. Why not, Mother? That Santa Claus you see is a last-minute substitute. But Why? Well, remember the way the janitor was last New Year's? Oh, my. Tired as an owl. I see Susie doesn't believe in Santa Claus either. That's right. She never has. Well, that's the end of the parade. Mother, I've been thinking. It's Thanksgiving, and there are only two of us. Couldn't we invite Mr. Gailey? Well, I... Oh, please don't bother. I'll just have a sandwich or something. But we have such a big turkey. Please, Mother, please. Well, well, I... Did I ask all right, Mr. Gailey? Susie, shh. You asked fine, Susan. Dinner's at three, Mr. Gailey. Hello, Mrs. Walker? Yes, Mr. Shellhammer? Your maid said you were at Thanksgiving dinner, but I just had to tell you, your Santa Claus was stupendous. <laughs> well, thank you. Mr. Macy himself wants him to be our toy department Santa Claus. Fine. Can you hire him? Well, I already have. Oh, he's a born salesman. I just feel it. Good. We'll talk about it in the morning. Thanks for calling, Mr. Shellhammer. Here he is, Mr. Shellhammer. Here's Santa Claus. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you. Good morning, Santa Claus. Good morning. Now, before you go to the toy department, here's a list of toys that we have to push. You know, things we're overstocked on. Now, you'll find that a great many children will be undecided as to what they want for Christmas. Now, when that happens, you immediately suggest one of these items. You understand? 
I certainly do. Fine. Now take the list, and Alfred here will show you to your throne in the toy department. And don't forget, you're working for Macy's. Are you really Santa Claus? Why, of course I am. And what do you want for Christmas, little boy? I want a fire engine with a real hose that's what's real wet water. And I won't do it in the house. I'll only do it in the backyard. I promise. And I promise you'll get your fire engine. You see, Mama? I told you he'd get me one. That's fine. That's just dandy. You wait here, Mortimer. Mama wants to thank Santa Claus, too. Yes, madam? Then what's the matter with you? Now, now, now. What's the trouble? I told you before, didn't I? The kid wants a fire engine, but there isn't one to be had anywhere in town. Macy's ain't got any. Gimbal's ain't got any. Nobody's got any. My feet are killing me, and you say, okay, he gets the fire engine. Mm, but you can get those fire engines at Schoenfeld's on Lexington Avenue. Only four fifty. Wonderful bargain. Schoenfeld? Mm. Hey, I, I don't get it. Oh, I follow the toy market very closely. Macy sending people to other stores? Mm. Are you kidding? Well, the one important thing is to make the children happy, isn't it? Whether Macy's or somebody else sells the toy doesn't matter. Don't you feel that way? Uh, who, me? Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, sure. Only I didn't know Macy's did. I don't get it. I just don't get Who's it. Who's next, please? Right this way to see Santa Claus. All right, little girl, you're next. Well, of course, little girl. You want some roller skates? Well, you shall have them, too. Oh, Mama, Mama, he's going to bring me some roller skates. Yes, and he has some fine skates here at Macy's, haven't you, Santa Claus? Oh, they're good skates, all right, but not quite good enough. Now, I left some really wonderful roller skates at Gimbal's. I'm sure Gimbal's have just what this good little girl wants. Mr. Shellhammer, are you Mr. Shellhammer? Gimbal's. Gimbal's? That's just what he did say. Gimbal's! Uh, the sales lady said I should speak to you. Gimbal's! I just wanted to congratulate you and Macy's on this wonderful new stunt you're pulling. Imagine a big outfit like Macy's putting the spirit of Christmas ahead of the commercials. Well, from now on, I'm going to be a regular Macy customer. All right, Mortimer, we're going. Gimbal's! department over there, Mr. Gailey. You certainly know all about Macy's store, don't you, Susie? Well, that's because my mother works here. But I still think it's silly, bringing me here to see Santa Claus. Well, I just felt that if you talked to him, maybe... Okay, the... Mr. Gailey. I'm certainly willing to try. Well, well, what a fine young lady. And what's your name, little girl? Susan Walker. What's yours? Mine? Chris Kringle. I'm Santa Claus. Hmm. <laughs> you don't believe that, eh? No. You see, my mother is Mrs. Walker. Oh. But I must say, you're the best-looking Santa Claus I've ever seen. Really? Your beard, for instance. It doesn't have one of those things that goes over your ears. Well, that's because it's real. Just like I'm really Santa Claus. Go ahead. Pull it. Well, my... my goodness. It is real. Yes. <laughs> now, what would you like me to bring you for Christmas? Nothing, thank you. Whatever I want, my mother will get for me. If it's sensible and doesn't cost too much, of course. That's quite right, Susan. Oh, hello, Mother. Hello, hello Mr. Gailey. The uh, explanation for this is all very simple. Your maid's mother sprained her ankle. She had to go home. She asked me to bring Susie down to you. And as long as we were here, I figured we might as well say hello to Santa Claus. He has real whiskers, Mother. Susan, would you mind standing over there a minute? If you want me to. I shouldn't have brought Susan to see Santa, is that it? 
Well, now you're making me feel completely heartless. I'm sorry. Don't you see? I tell Susan that Santa Claus is a myth, and you sure are a very convincing old man with real whiskers. Whom is she to believe? Yeah, yeah, that's right, isn't it? When Susan was a baby, her father and I were divorced. Ever since then, I've protected my child by teaching her realities. If you don't believe in fairy tales and fantasy, you can never be hurt or disillusioned. We were talking about Susie, Mrs. Walker. And I must ask you to let me raise her as I see fit. All right, dear, we'll run along to my office now. Alfred said you wanted to see me, Mrs. Walker. Oh, yes, yes. I, uh, I'd be grateful if you'd please tell Susan that you're not really Santa Claus, that there actually is no such person. But, Mrs. Walker, not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it. No, 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 you must understand. I want you to tell her the truth. Now, uh, what's your real name? Chris Kringle, and I always tell the truth. Susan, I'll bet you're in the first grade. Second grade. I mean your real name. That is my real name. My goodness, the second grade? Very well. I have your employment card right here. I'll look it up on that. That's a very cute dress, Susan. It's from Macy's. We get 10% off. Oh. So, you always tell the truth, do you? Look at your employment card. Name, Chris Kringle. Address, Brooks Memorial Home, Great Neck, Long Island. You may call the home if you care to confirm that, Mrs. Walker. It's a home for elderly gentlemen. Would you also like me to confirm this? What's that? Date of birth. As old as my tongue and a little bit older than my teeth. Place of birth, North Pole. Now, really. Why, I believe you would doubt me, Mrs. Walker. And this tops everything. Next of kin. Oh, there. Dasher, dancer, prancer, and vixen. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to do this, Mr. Uh, uh, Kringle. But the, uh, the Santa Claus that we had two years ago is back in town, and I feel that we owe it to him to... What, uh, have I done something wrong? Uh, no, no, it's just that we feel... Oh, excuse me. Hello? This is Mr. Shellhammer, Mrs. Walker. Drop whatever you're doing. Mr. Macy wants to see us immediately. Oh, I'll be right up. Um, I'm afraid I'll have to be very abrupt with you. I have to see Mr. Macy. You'll be paid for the full week, Mr. Kringle, and I'll send your check to that address. Come right in, Mrs. Walker, Mr. Shellhammer. Thank you, Mr. Macy. Now, about this new policy you two initiated. Oh. Macy's Santa Claus sending customers to Gimbel's. I, I, I can explain everything, Mr. Macy. You don't Macy. have to explain a thing. Just look at my desk. 42 telegrams and over 500 phone calls. Grateful parents expressing undying gratitude to Macy's department store. Well, you... You don't say. From now on, not only will our Santa Claus continue in this manner, but every salesperson in the entire store. You... You mean if we haven't got what the customer asks for, we're to... We're to send him where he can get it. No high-pressuring, no forcing a customer to take something he doesn't really want. I, I think that's wonderful, Mr. Macy. We'll be known as the helpful store, the friendly store, the store that places public service ahead of profits. And uh, consequently, we'll make more profits than ever. As for you, Mrs. Walker and Mr. Shellhammer, you'll find a more practical expression of my gratitude in your Christmas envelopes. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And thank tell you. that wonderful Santa Claus I won't forget him either. Matter of fact, I'll tell him myself in the morning. Yes, indeed, Mr. Macy. Good night, good night. Good night, Mr. Macy. And thank you again, sir. Imagine, a bonus. Yes. Well, what's the matter with you? Mr. Shellhammer, I, I just fired him. Uh, who? Santa Claus. Oh, no. No! 
You couldn't have. But I, I did. He's crazy, Mr. Shellhammer. He really thinks he is Santa Claus. I don't care if he thinks he's the Easter Bunny. Find him. Oh, no, no, no. In a moment, we'll continue with Miracle on 34th Street. Say, Libby, I understand you were at that wonderful party RKO gave last month for the company of Tycoon after they finished the picture. Yes, indeed. And I met so many interesting people. Lorraine Day introduced me to John Wayne, who co-starred with her in the picture. He was telling me what marvelous Technicolor shots they got on location in the Sierras. Anybody else I know there? Well, Rosalind Russell made quite a stir when she dropped in with RKO's two British stars, Michael Redgrave and Leo Ginn. Rosalind looking, as usual, like one of the ten best-dressed women in America? <laughs> well, like the best-dressed belle of 1865 this time. Because the three of them came right from the set of Morning Becomes Electra. Rosalind was still wearing her hoop skirts and poke bonnet. She has a very exacting role in that picture. In more ways than one. Her stockings took more punishment than any other part of her costume. Because the sound stage for the mansion set has real sod on it that was watered several times a day. Rosalind changed her shoes and stockings constantly because of the dampness, so her maid had five or six pairs to Lux every night. You did say Lux. Well, naturally. Stars, as well as the Hollywood studios, know how important Lux flakes are in making stockings last longer. We do know that's true from those famous strain tests made by an impartial laboratory. When they washed stockings with a strong soap or rubbed them with cake soap, pop went runs in a surprisingly short time. But the very same kinds of stockings, washed with Lux Flakes, lasted twice as long. That was true of nylon, silk, rayon, and cotton alike. That's a good tip for girls who get some of the new smoky-toned nylons for Christmas. They can make them last much longer, keep the colors lovely longer, if they Lux them regularly. Lux helps stockings last twice as long. So, with gentle Lux care, you can get the wear of an extra pair from every pair of stockings. We continue with Act Two of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle, and Natalie Wood as Susan. It was a frantic few hours that Doris spent last night rushing out to the Brooks Memorial Home in Long Island and assuring Chris Kringle that Macy's wanted him back as Santa Claus. So Chris is again presiding over the crowded toy department. While in her office, Doris and Mr. Shellhammer... Don't you understand, Mr. Shellhammer? That old man with the nice white whiskers insists that he is Santa Claus. He's out of his mind. What if he should have a... a fit or something? Oh, no, I've got to tell Mr. Macy. But maybe he's only a little crazy. Anyway, you can't be sure till he's examined. We'll send him to Mr. Sawyer. Sawyer? In personnel. He's paid to examine employees, isn't he? Now, by the way, what do you think of this? What is it? A full-page ad Macy's is running in tomorrow's newspapers. Macy's is running it? But it's all about the other stores, Gimbel's and Sachs. I know, I know. Mr. Macy's idea to help our customers find what they want. Revolting, isn't it? <laughs> that Santa Claus certainly has started something. Oh, well, I'll get hold of him in his lunch hour and I'll send him up to Mr. Sawyer. Changed my clothes, Mr. Sawyer, and came right up. Oh, then that's your own beard, huh? Oh, yes. Uh, 
Interesting complex in back of that. Why do you carry a cane? Always carry a cane, Mr. Sawyer. Well, that is when I wear street clothes. I carved this cane out of a runner from one of my old sleighs. What's that? What's that? With a fine, solid silver top. Who was the first president of the United States? Oh, give me a difficult one. Like, uh, like who was vice president under John Quincy Adams? I'm conducting this examination. The answer is Daniel D. Tompkins. Ah, uh, oh, you're a, you're a rather nervous man, aren't you? Uh, Do you get enough sleep? My personal habits are no concern of yours. Now, what hand am I holding up? Right hand. How many fingers do you see? Three. Oh, dear, dear, dear. And you bite your nails, what? too. Oh, oh. Stand up now. Feet together, arms extended. Muscular coordination test. I've taken dozens of these tests. Mr. Sawyer, are you happy at home? That, that will be all, Mr. Kringle. The examination's over. Thank you. And it may interest you to know that I've been happily married, very happily, for 22 years. Very happily married. Delighted to hear it. Uh, Bye, Mr. Sawyer. Uh, Miss Prawn! Yes, sir? Get Mrs. Walker on the phone. Yes, sir. But your wife, Mr. Sawyer, she's called four times already. Tell my big fat wife to shut up and mind her own business. Here's Mrs. Walker, sir. Uh, <clears throat> Hello? I was just going to call you, Mr. Sawyer. There's a Dr. Pierce stopping by this afternoon at three. Who's Dr. Pierce? He's the physician at the Brooks home. I thought we might discuss Mr. Kringle's case with him. Well, there's hardly any point in discussing it, Mrs. Walker. Obviously, the old man should be discharged. And so, Dr. Pierce, Kringle should be dismissed immediately and sent to a mental institution. Oh, now, just a moment. But he's deluded, <laughs> saying that he's Santa Claus. Well, it's a delusion for good. I found he only wants to be friendly and helpful. No, his whole manner suggests aggressiveness. Why, look at the way he carries that cane. Well, Mrs. Walker, naturally, I can't discharge that loony. So when he exhibits his maniacal tendencies, please realize the responsibility is completely yours. Well, I'm right back where I started. Mrs. Walker, I assure you, Chris Kringle has no maniacal tendencies. But if there's the slightest possibility of his causing any trouble... Well, what trouble? All that need happen is that a policeman ask him his name. Chris Kringle, clang, clang, and Macy Santa Claus lands up in the psychopathic ward. Well, you can prevent that very simply. Uh, there must be someone here at the store who could rent him a room. Then they could both come to work together. I just as soon he avoided that long train ride to Long Island anyway. You mean sort of take custody of him? Yeah. Do you think Mr. Kringle would agree to that? Well, I'm sure he'll agree. Well, in that case, now let's see... Who do I know who could rent him a room? I'm glad you're going to have dinner with us, Mr. Kringle. Oh, thank you, Susan. I'm also very glad you're going to live next door with Mr. Gailey. Oh, why? Because you're nice to talk to. Oh, what a fine young man that Mr. Gailey is, eh? Just think, allowing me to share his apartment, a mere stranger... Confidentially, he did it because Mother hinted to him. Oh. Well, anyway, I'm very grateful. Shall I tell you what I did in school today? Yeah, by all means. Any games? Yes, and a very silly game, too. They played zoo, and each child was supposed to be an animal. But, Susie, they were just pretending. Well, that's what makes a game so silly. Well, of course, in order to play games, you need imagination. Oh, that's when you see things, but they're not really there. Oh, yeah. yeah, but you know, to me, imagination is a place all by itself. Now, you've heard of the French nation, the British nation. Well, this is the imagination. A very interesting place, too. 
Now, how would you like to be able to make snowballs in the summertime, eh? Or, or be the Statue of Liberty in the morning, and in the afternoon, fly south with a flock of geese? Oh, I'm quite sure I'd like it, but... Oh, it's very simple. Now, look here, anyway, the next time they play zoo, you can be a monkey. But I don't know how to be a monkey. Don't you? Here, I'll show you. Now, first you bend over a little, like, uh, like this, see? Now, let your arms hang loose, eh? Like this? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, fine. Now, put your hand over here and start scratching, see? <laughs> that's excellent, Susan, excellent. That's as fine a bit of scratching as I've ever seen. Well, now, now start chattering. Chattering? Yes, chattering. Listen, now. See, I, I, I keep on scratching. Now then, we'll do it together, see? Chatter and scratch, and scratch and chatter. Huh? Well, that's fine, Susan, fine. You're doing beautifully. <laughs> 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 Susan, you still awake? Yes. I've just come in to say goodnight. Susan, about Christmas, there must be something you'd like for Christmas. Well, I've certainly thought about something, Mr. Kringle. have? What is it, eh? Tell me. It's right here on the night table. Oh? See, I tore this page out of the magazine. It's a picture of a house. Oh, that's what you want, eh? A doll's house. Colonial architecture. Oh, no. Not a doll's house. A real house. A real house? Yes, and if you're really Santa Claus, you can get it for me. Oh, now, 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 now. Wait a minute, Susie. <laughs> what could you possibly do with a big house? Live in it with my mother. And I want a great big backyard with a great big tree to put a swing on and a garden and a... Oh, well. Why even discuss it? Oh, uh, Susie, could I, um... Could I keep this picture just, uh, just in case? I guess so. Thank you, thank you. Well, Mr. Gale is waiting for me. Good night, monkey. Good night, Mr. Kringle. Take whichever bed you want, Mr. Kringle. Oh, you're very kind, really. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Gailey. Just what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a lawyer. Haslip, Haslip, Sherman, and McKenzie. Oh. And you, uh, you like living here in the city? Well, it's convenient. But someday I'd like to get a place out on Long Island. Not a big house, just one of those junior partner deals around Manhasset. One of those little colonial houses, eh? Yeah, yeah. A little colonial house would be swell. Oh. You're, um, you're quite fond of Mrs. Walker, aren't you? Yeah. A lot of good it does me. She lives in a cast-iron shell that's a little difficult to penetrate. Oh, you must try harder, Mr. Gailey. Mrs. Walker and that child are a couple of lost souls, and it's up to us to help them. Oh, well, shall I turn out the light? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to be cheated out of this. You know, all my life I've wondered about it, and now I'm going to find out. Does Santa Claus sleep with his whiskers inside or outside the covers? Oh, outside, of course. Outside, by all means. The cold makes them grow. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, 
Come in, Mrs. Walker. Come in. Thank you, Mr. Macy. I've just heard something very exciting. You have? Well, let me tell you something very exciting. Our policy of being kind to customers has tripled our sales. Now, what do you think of that? Well, that's wonderful, Mr. Macy. And Gimbel's thinks it's wonderful, too. Gimbel's? Gimbel's are adopting the same policy. Well, is that so? And it gives me an idea. As long as Gimbel's are doing the same thing, why not some pictures for the newspapers? Pictures? Yes, you and Mr. Gimbel shaking hands. Shaking hands? R.H. Macy and, and Gimbel? Well, well, yes. Hmm... Yes, why not? With Santa Claus, it's a great idea, Mrs. Walker. Macy and Gimble, shaking hands. That's enough pictures, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Well, Mr. Gimble? Come on, R.H., now we'll go over to my store and get some really good pictures. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> I have something here for Santa Claus. Here you are, Mr. Kringle, a check in appreciation of all Mr. you've done. Macy, why, that's most kind of you. I didn't think you were that generous, R.H. Well, that's quite a check. Uh, what are you going to do with it, Mr. Kringle? Well, I have a friend, a Dr. Pierce. He needs a new x-ray machine. Buy the machine through the store. A uh, 10% discount. Nonsense! Come over to Gimbel's and we'll furnish it at cost. Keep it up, gentlemen. Keep it up. <laughs> at this rate, my friend will have a whole new hospital. <laughs> <laughs> How did the pictures turn out, Mr. Kringle? Oh, fine, Alfred, fine. How about a game of checkers during lunch? No, not today, Chris. I, I don't feel so good. Huh? What's the matter, Alfred? Oh, nothing much. You remember I was telling you how I like to play Santa Claus over at the Y and mm -hmm. give out packages to the kids? Yeah. Well, I was telling Mr. Sawyer about it, and he says that's very bad, that psychologically it's all wrong. Wrong? To be nice to children? Well, he says guys who play Santa Claus do it because when they was young, they must have done something bad. Now they do something they think is good to make up for it, see? It's what he calls a guilt complex. Alfred... What else has he found wrong with you? Oh, nothing much. Just that I hate my father. I didn't know it, but he says I do. Excuse me. Hey, ain't you going to lunch? Later. Right now, I have an appointment with Mr. Sawyer. What do you mean, breaking into my office like this? Are you a licensed psychiatrist? What business is it of yours? I have great respect for psychiatry and great contempt for meddling amateurs who go around practicing it. Shut up! You ought to be horsewhipped. Taking a boy like Alfred and filling him up with complices and phobias and... I think I'm better equipped to judge that than you. Just because Alfred wants to be kind to children, you tell him he has a guilt complex. Having the same delusion you couldn't possibly understand. And don't you wave that cane at me. Either you stop analyzing Alfred or I'll go straight to Mr. Macy and tell him what a contemptible fraud you are. Get out of here. Get out of here before I have you thrown out. There's only one way to handle a man like you. Well... Maybe this'll knock some sense into Oh, for help! Oh, oh, my head, my head, oh, oh. Good day, Mr. Sawyer. Oh, Miss Prawn, Miss Prawn. Get me the police, get me Mrs. Walker, get me the psychopathic ward at Bellevue Hospital. You can see Mr. Crinkle now, Mr. Gailey. Thank you, nurse. Hello, Chris. Hello, Fred. Chris, I've been speaking to the doctors. They said they've given you some tests. Yeah, same old tests. Except this time you failed to pass them. Chris, you deliberately failed them. Why? Because I had great hopes, Fred. I had a feeling Mrs. Walker was beginning to believe in me. Now I discover she was 
Only humoring me all the time. But this wasn't Doris's idea at all. Mr. Sawyer had you sent here before she even knew about it. But why didn't she come to me and explain things? Because she didn't want to hurt you. Oh, it's not just Mrs. Walker, Fred. Now, take Mr. Sawyer. He's contemptible, dishonest, deceitful. Yet he's out there and I'm in here. Well, if that's normal, I don't want it. But you can't just think of yourself, Chris. What happens to you matters to a lot of other people. People like me who believe in what you stand for and people like, well, like Susie who are just beginning to. Chris, you're letting us down. No, maybe you're right, Fred. You, you, of course you're right. I ought to be ashamed of myself. Let's get out of here. Now, wait a minute. You flunked your mental examination, but good. Oh, yes. Yes, so I did. So I... Here, well, you're a lawyer. You fix it. Hey, now, look, I... I won't let you down, and you won't let me down. Chris, take it easy, will you? Look, there'll have to be a hearing. If you're going to be committed, it's got to go before a judge. Well? Well, if I can do anything at all, it'll have to be in that courtroom. Now, sit tight, Chris. I'll get an idea. I'll have to get an idea. <laughs> Uh, sent for me, Mr. Macy. I certainly did, Mr. Sawyer. I brought my family to the toy department to see our Santa Claus. And our Santa Claus isn't there. He's in Bellevue. Uh, yes, Mr. Macy. Because he's a lunatic. Yes, sir. A lunatic. Lunatic, my foot. You listen to me, Sawyer. You get that case dropped right away, you'll have another lump to match the one he gave you. But it's out of my hands. Mr. Kringle goes to court in the morning. Well, just see that he's back in the toy department by afternoon. Now get out of here. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Gailey. Yes? I've been looking all over for you. I'm uh, uh, Mr. Sawyer. Oh, so you're Sawyer. Yes. I was just speaking to the court clerk, and he said you represent Mr. Kringle. Well, uh, I represent Mr. Macy. And I'll see you in court. Oh, well, that's what I wanted to speak to you about. Now, uh, Mr. Macy would like to drop the whole case right now. You see, we're most anxious to avoid uh, any uh, publicity. No publicity, huh? That's very interesting. Ah, then you'll, uh, you'll cooperate? You know something, Sawyer? You've just given me the idea I've been searching for. Oh, good, good. If I'm going to win this case, I'm going to have to have public opinion and plenty of it. And publicity's just the way to do it. Thanks and so long, Sawyer. Mr. Gailey. But, but, but Mr. Gailey! Look at these newspapers, Chris. Here, Evening Dispatch. Doctors doubt sanity of Santa who launched goodwill campaign. Oh, my. Daily Bulletin. Macy's Santa Claus to have lunacy hearing. What's this one? New York Star. Is Chris Kringle crazy? Court case coming? Kitties cry <laughs> calamity? You've driven the United Nations clear back to page five. <laughs> Get a good night's sleep, Chris. We go before Judge Harper at 10 tomorrow morning. Okay. Pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. We'll return with Miracle on 34th Street in a moment. If it's possible to be born an actress, our guest tonight was. For Barbara Beebe Lyon is the daughter of two famous parents, Beebe Daniels and Ben Lyon, 
the well-known screen stars who are now on the executive end of motion pictures. You know, Barbara, you resemble your mother very much. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. That's a great compliment. But I know I'll have to work hard and make a place for myself. Right now, I'm studying dramatics. And visiting the studios to study techniques? That's right. I spent a lot of time at 20th Century Fox watching them make Gentleman's Agreement. Dorothy McGuire is so natural. She's marvelous. And Gregory Peck turns in one of his finest performances in that story of present-day intolerance. Yes, and I was interested in Celeste Holm, too, because she plays her first-rate dramatic role in Gentleman's Agreement. Afterward, she asked me to tea in her dressing room. But an uninvited guest almost spoiled the party. Who was that? Gregory's dog, Perry. (laughs) He's such a pet. He thought he was invited, too, and in his enthusiasm, bumped Celeste's elbow, and she spilled cream over her lovely negligee. But, and this is why I'm telling you the story, Mr. Kennedy, Celeste wasn't a bit disturbed. She just handed the robe to her maid and told her to lux it right away. She couldn't give it safer treatment. Studio wardrobe departments specify Lux care for everything safe in water alone. So do Mother and I. Since she's been back from England where Mother and Dad spent the war years, we've been splurging on lingerie. But it really doesn't seem extravagant because nice things last so long with Lux care. Lux care actually does keep underthings lovely three times as long. So any girl who gives her underthings Lux care can have three times as many without spending a bit more. Instead of just replacing underthings that have grown faded and old-looking from wrong washing, she can buy extra new ones. Soon have three times as many because they stay lovely three times as long. Thank you for coming tonight, Barbara Lyon. Now, here's Act Three of Miracle on 34th Street, starring Marina Hera as Doris Walker, John Payne as Fred Gailey, Edmund Gwen as Chris, and Natalie Wood as Susan. For a few weeks, a jolly elderly gentleman named Chris Kringle has been working minor miracles as the Santa Claus of Macy's department store. But now his sanity has been seriously questioned. And in a crowded courtroom, Judge Harper listens patiently as the assistant district attorney summons Chris to the witness stand. Now, this is not a trial, Mr. Kringle. It's just a hearing, so you don't have to answer any questions. Now then, where do you live, please? Well, it seems to me that's what this hearing will decide, won't you? Mr. Kringle... Do you believe that you are Santa Claus? Of course I do. That's all, Your Honor. The state rests its case. Well, Mr. Gailey? Your Honor, Mr. Mara contends my client is not sane because he believes he is Santa Claus. An entirely logical conclusion. Anyone who thinks he's Santa Claus is crazy. Your Honor, you believe yourself to be Judge Harper, yet no one questions your sanity because you are Judge Harper, do they? Mr. Kringle is the subject of this sanity hearing, not I. Very well, Your Honor but I intend to prove that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Mr. Mara, I thought you said this was a cut-and-dried sanity hearing. I thought it was, Your Honor. In the view of Mr. Gailey's statement, I'll have to review the entire background of this case. Court's adjourned till tomorrow morning. Doris, I'm sorry I'm late, but get ready. We're really going to celebrate tonight. What are we celebrating? Well, didn't you read the papers? Santa's mouthpiece throws bombshell in New York Supreme Court. Fred, you're not really serious about this. You can't possibly prove that Chris is Santa Claus. Well, you saw Mr. Macy and Mr. Gimble shake hands. That wasn't possible either. And what does your firm have to say about it, Hayslip and McKenzie and, and the rest of them? That I've jeopardized their prestige, and either I drop this impossible case or they'll drop me. You see? So I beat them to it. I quit. Fred, 
You threw away your career because of a sentimental whim? Well, I'll open my own office. And what kind of clients will you get? Oh, probably a lot of people like Chris who are being pushed around. You know, that's the only fun in law anyway. Doris, look, don't you have any faith at all in me? Oh, it's not a question of faith. It's common sense. But faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. It's not just Chris that's on trial. It's, it's everything he stands for. Human kindness and love. Fred, listen. We've seen a lot of each other the last couple of weeks. I, well, I, I've become very fond of you. We've talked about some wonderful plans, haven't we? And then you do this. You go on an idealistic binge, throw away your security, and you expect me to be happy about it. And I expect too much, is that it? Well, that's that, I guess. Good night, Doris. Hello. Yes, this is Mr. Mara. Well, can't it wait till tomorrow? I'm eating di- Who's been subpoenaed? Well, how do you think I feel about it? I'll see you tomorrow. Who's that, dear? R.H. Macy's been subpoenaed. Oh, my. Oh, those reporters. They make me look like a sadistic monster who likes nothing better than to drown pussycats and tear wings off of butterflies. Quiet, dear, quiet. Tommy's still awake. Oh, oh, yeah. It'd just break his heart if he knew what his daddy's doing. I'm doing my job as assistant district attorney. Well, I'm not so sure, but that I agree with them. Mr. Kringle looks like a very nice old man, and I don't see why you have to keep persecuting him. I'm not persecuting him. I'm prosecuting him. I like the old man, too, but there's nothing I can do about it. You know something, Thomas? Sometimes I wish I'd married a butcher or a plumber. Well, if I lose this case, it's very possible you'll get your wish. <laughs> R.H. Macy, and I wonder what he's going to pull tomorrow. Proceed with the witness, Mr. Gailey. Now then, Mr. Macy, if you recognize the defendant, please tell us who he is. Chris Kringle, of course. Do you believe him to be of sound mind? Sound mind? I wish I had a dozen like him. Mr. Macy, you're under oath. Do you believe that man is Santa Claus? Well, now, that's rather a delicate... Careful, uh... R.H., just think of those headlines tomorrow. Macy admits his Santa Claus is fraud. You keep out of this, Gimble. What did you say? Uh, nothing, nothing, Mr. Mara. Well, I wish you would. Is that man Santa Claus? Yes. In my opinion, he most certainly is. Your Honor, there is no such person as Santa Claus, and everybody knows it. Can you prove there isn't any? I won't even try. I'll not waste the court's time with such childish nonsense. Your Honor, the prosecution requests an immediate ruling from this court. Is there or is there not a Santa Claus? Well, now, I, uh, the court will take a short recess to consider the question. Hello, Henry. Why, Charlie, what are you doing here? Well, can't an old friend visit you in your chambers? And if you ask me, you never needed a friend like you do now. This Kringle case? Well, I certainly don't see what they're making such a fuss about. Henry, that's Santa Claus you got out there on trial for lunacy. This case is dynamite, and you're coming up for re-election soon. Charlie, you know what happened last night? Martha brought the grandchildren over. They... They wouldn't kiss Grandpa. <laughs> they wouldn't even talk to me. There, you see what I mean? If you rule there is no Santa Claus, you better start looking for that chicken farm right now. I'm a responsible judge. How can I seriously rule that there is a Santa Claus? Because of what happens if you don't. The kids read about it, and they don't hang up their stockings. Now, what happens to all the toys that are supposed to be in those stockings? 
Nobody buys them. The toy manufacturers have to lay off employees. By now, you've got the AFL and the CIO against you. <laughs> and they're going to say it with votes, eh? Oh, the department stores are going to love you, too. Yes, sir, Henry. And what about the Salvation Army? They've got a Santa Claus in every street corner, and they're taking a lot of money to help the poor. But go ahead, Henry. You go in there and rule there isn't any Santa Claus. But if you do, you can count on getting just two votes. Your own and that district attorney's out there. One vote, Charlie. He, he's a Republican. <laughs> oh, well, let's get this over with. The question of Santa Claus seems to be largely a matter of opinion. The tradition of American justice demands a broad and unprejudiced view of such a controversial matter. But, Your Honor... This court, therefore, intends to keep its mind open. We shall ask for evidence on either side. But the burden of proof clearly rests with my opponent. Can he produce any evidence to support his views? If Your Honor please, I can. Will Thomas Mara please take the stand? Who? Me? No, Thomas Mara, Jr. I believe he and his mother are both in court today. Hi, Papa. Hi. Tommy, do you believe in Santa Claus? I sure do. He gave me a brand new sled last year. And uh, what does Santa Claus look like, Tommy? Well, there he is sitting right over there. Your Honor, I... Overruled! Tell me, Tommy, why are you so sure there's a Santa Claus? Because my papa told me so. Didn't you, papa? Thank you, Tommy. You can go back to your mother now. See you later, papa. You certainly will. Your Honor! Don't worry, Tommy. You'll get it. Mr. Kringle, if you don't mind. I'm sorry, sir. Your Honor, the state of New York concedes the existence of a Santa Claus. But in so conceding, we demand that Mr. Gailey stop presenting personal opinion as evidence. I insist he submit authority to proof that Mr. Kringle here is the one and only Santa Claus. Well, Mr. Gailey, are you prepared to show that Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus on the basis of unprejudiced authority? Well... Well, no, not now. I, I need a little time. Why not now? Tomorrow, Your Honor. Very well. Court's adjourned till tomorrow morning. Phew. Now come, Susan, dear. Finish your supper. But I can't, Mother. All those things they're saying in the newspapers about Mr. Kringle and Mr. Gailey. Susan, they're having this trial because he says he's Santa Claus. But he's so kind and nice and jolly. He's not like anyone else I know. He must be Santa. You know something? I think perhaps you're right. Is Mr. Kringle sad now, Mother? I'm afraid he must be. Then I'll write him a letter. Maybe that'll make him feel better. I'll cheer him up and I'll tell him I believe him. Postman, postman. Yeah, lady? Would you mind taking this letter? Oh, sure, lady. We're going straight down to the post office now. Okay, Louie, take it away. Hey, what do you know, Louie? Another letter for Santa Claus. Hey, here's a new one. Instead of North Pole, this kid's got it addressed to Chris Kringle, New York County Courthouse. Well, the kid's right. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. They got him on trial down there. <laughs> He claims he's Santa Claus, and the DA claims he's nuts. Hey, 
Hey, hmm? Frankie, I got an idea. Yeah? How many Santa Claus letters do you think we got down there in the dead letter office? Oh, who knows? Must be 50,000. Bags and bags all over the joint. You, you mean but Frankie? Why not? Wouldn't it be nice to get rid of them all? Wouldn't it? Boy, oh boy. Look, Louie, soon as we get to the post office, we go see the supervisor. You know something? I bet we both get promoted! the defense has been unable to submit one shred of proof that Kris Kringle is the one and only Santa Claus, and since tonight is Christmas Eve, I ask, Your Honor, that this hearing be terminated without further delay. I protest, Your Honor, I do have evidence. Five minutes ago, you said you didn't. During Mr. Marrow's oration, the bailiff handed my client the evidence I refer to. What evidence? This letter, Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Kringle? It's from Susan Walker. She believes in me. This letter means more to me than... Oh. Anything in the world. That letter, Your Honor, was delivered by the United States Post Office, an official agency of the federal government. The Post Office Department is one of the largest business concerns in the world. Last year, it did a gross volume of over $1 billion, and Your this Honor, year... I'm sure we're all gratified that the Post Office is getting along so well. <laughs> but what bearing has it on the sanity of that man? My point is that the Post Office Department is a model of efficiency. Furthermore, the laws of this country make it a criminal offense to willfully misdirect mail or intentionally deliver it to the wrong party. The state of New York is second to none in its admiration of the post office department. We're very happy to concede Mr. Gailey's claims. For the record, Mr. Marrow? For the record. Anything to get on with this case. Thank you. Your Honor, that letter just received by Mr. Kringle is positive proof that a... One letter is hardly positive proof. I have further exhibits, Your Honor, but I hesitate to produce them. Come, come, Mr. Gailey. Put them here on my desk. But, Your Honor, I said put them on my desk. All right, boys, bring them in. Put them right there. Your Honor, what, what is this? Empty those mail sacks on Judge Harper's desk. But we got six truckloads out there. Bring them in. I'll be fine for contempt of court. No, just a second oh, here. we'll do it, Your Honor. We'll do it. True rain, true sleet, true courtrooms, anything we deliver. <laughs> Mr. Gailey. Your Honor, every one of those letters and every one of those mail sacks is addressed to Santa Claus. The post office department has delivered them. Therefore, the post office department recognizes Chris Kringle to be the one and only Santa Claus. Since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. And for heaven's sake, get this mail out of my courtroom. So as soon as I got out of court, I came straight to Mesa's to see you, Doris. Oh, Chris, I'm so glad you won. Well, we're having a big Christmas party at the Brooks' home tomorrow morning. I'd like so much to see you and Susie there. We'll be there, Chris. Oh, couldn't you... Couldn't you just come home now and have dinner with us? Now? Tonight? Me? My goodness, Doris, it's Christmas Eve. Oh. Alfred, look. Look who came all the way out here to the home just for our Christmas party. Chris, it's... It's Mr. Macy. Mr. Gimbel, too. Oh, excuse me, Alfred. Mrs. Walker and Susie have to leave now, and I don't want to go without my shoes. But Susie, darling, you've got so many presents. That's the one I wanted. That's the one Mr. Kringle was going to get for me. Well, what was it? It doesn't matter. I knew I wouldn't get it, but I thought he'd at least tell me why. Susie! Susie, I'm, I'm sorry, Susie. I tried my best, You but couldn't I... get it because you're not Santa Claus. Susan! 
Just a nice old man, like Mother said. But I was wrong when I told you that. You must believe in Mr. Kringle and keep right on doing it. You must have faith in him. But that doesn't make sense, Mother. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Huh? I mean, just because things don't turn out the way you want them to the first time, you've still got to believe in people. I found that Hello, out. Hello, Doris. Oh, Fred. Mr. Gailey! Oh, Mr. Gailey! Merry Christmas, Susie. Gosh, you just got here and we're just ready to leave. Oh, I've been here, and if you're ready to leave, I'll, I'll drive you home. Well, be, before you go, here, here's a map I've made for you. Now, you'll miss a lot of traffic. About four miles south, you will see Ashley Avenue. That's the street you want, Ashley Avenue. Thanks, Chris, and a Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Fred, and to you, my dear, and to you, Susie. I believe, Mr. Kringle. I do. It's silly, I suppose. But I believe. I don't understand it, Fred. The map Chris gave us definitely says Ashley Avenue. We've been on Ashley Avenue stop now. Stop the car! Oh, stop the car, please! Susie, what is it, darling? What's the matter? There it is, the house! The house! S Susie, what in the world? She's running into that house. At least there's no one home. It's, it's brand new. It's just been built. Yeah, for sale, it says. For sale. What on earth is that child up to? Susie! Hey, Susie! Here I am upstairs! Come right down. You know you shouldn't run, run around in other people's houses. That's strange. Yeah, I'll say. No, no, I, I mean this house. I've seen this house somewhere. I know I have. Maybe in a magazine Mother, or... It's the one I asked him for, Mr. Kringle. Mr. Kringle? I know it is. Oh, you were right, Mommy. You were right. Susie. Mommy told me if things didn't turn out just the way you wanted them to at first, you've still got to believe. And I kept believing and you were right, Mommy. Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. Now where are you going? In back to see if there's a swing. Oh, there is one. There is one. You told her that about, about believing? <laughs> Well, you told me, Fred. <laughs> Sign outside. For sale, huh? Well, we can't let her down, can we? I never really doubted you. It was just my silly common sense. <laughs> it even makes sense to believe in me now. I must be a pretty good lawyer. I'd take a little old man and legally prove to the world that he's Santa Claus. Now, you know that could Fred. What's the matter? There in the corner by the fireplace. Oh, no. No. It can't be. It, it couldn't. A cane. Chris's cane. Why, there couldn't be two canes like that anywhere in the world. Silver handle and all. Hey, you know something? Maybe I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. Our stars will return for their curtain calls in a moment. Let's look in for a moment on the Smiths. In a rash moment, Bill has offered to wash the dishes. Here's the Lux. Just shake a little in the dishpan. Hey there, that's enough. Oh, why be stingy? I like lots of suds. Well, so do I. But you'll get plenty with a little Lux. Hey. It looks just like a bubble bath. <laughs> Dishcloth is there under the sink. You know, those suds won't flatten out either, like that stuff I used last week. You watch. 
Well, at least you use that other box up fast. I'll say. That's another reason I'm back to Lux Flakes. Why, I'll bet Lux does most twice as many dishes, because a little goes such a long way. Well, don't just admire those suds all night. Uh, 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 come back here and dry. Silly, that's a waste of time. Just rinse those dishes with hot water, and they'll dry by themselves. You know, I was just thinking, can I count this as my good deed for the day if I get dishpan hands for your sake? Dishpan hands, nothing. You won't get red, rough hands with Lux Flakes in the dishpan. See, what's wrong with mine? Not so bad, not so bad. Next time you do the dishes. Well, ladies, if your husband doesn't do the dishes, the next best thing is to do them yourself with Lux Flakes in the dishpan. You'll avoid dishpan hands. In fact, if strong soaps have been making your hands red and rough, just change to Lux Flakes and see how soon your hands are soft and smooth again. Now, here's Mr. Keeley with our stars. Mr. Keeley in Washington, D.C., and our stars on the stage of the Lux Radio Theater in Hollywood. For a most delightful holiday performance, all our thanks to Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwen, and Natalie Wood, who returned to the spotlight for a curtain call. From Washington to Hollywood and points between, you've helped to put us in the mood for Christmas. Thanks, Bill. But we missed you at tonight's performance. As I miss being there, believe me. But here in Washington, Edmund Gwen sounded just as convincing as Santa Claus as he must have on your stage in Hollywood. Well, Bill, I wonder how many people knew that Teddy Gwen really was Macy's Santa Claus in their holiday parade. Is that right, Mr. Gwen? Yes, that's right, Natalie. In fact, I've been Santa Claus so much, I'm beginning to really believe in myself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't wonder, Teddy. I'm certainly going to leave the latchkey in the mailbox for you Christmas Eve. No, no, just put a windsock in the chimney, Bill. You really plan to make the rounds on Christmas Eve, eh, Teddy? Well, you can't let millions of children down. You know, Mr. Gwen, you sound as if you did believe in Santa Claus. Mm, He's right, too. Didn't I just prove it? Well, why don't we leave it to the Lux Radio Theater audience? Yes. How about it, folks? Do you believe in Santa Claus? Yes! (laughs) Well, that ought to reassure the children in the audience tonight. (laughs) Tell us, Bill, how's the picture going down in Washington? Splendidly. In fact, if all's well, I'm happy to say I'll be back for our big New Year's show next Monday night. Something special, Mr. Keeley? Very special, Natalie. A musical hit to warm the hearts of every member of the family. Well, let's hear what gives, Bill. Sounds exciting. Exciting it is. A play and cast that's topped our list of listeners' requests. And our stars are the one and only... Frank Sinatra... The lovely and talented singing star, Catherine Grayson, and the ever-popular Gene Kelly. In Metro-Golden-Bear's great hit, Anchors Away. I hope you have Frank singing the wonderful tunes from that picture, Bill. Yes, indeed. And Catherine and Gene, too. Sounds like a great way to finish out the old year, Bill. Congratulations. Good night. Good night. Good Good night. night. Merry Christmas to all four of you. Once again, the world looks forward to another Christmas. It would be idle to say that peace reigns everywhere on earth, that men confront the future with untroubled hearts. But this much we can say, that for one day, the world is brought together by the worship of the Prince of Peace. 
And if that spirit can burn so brightly for a single day, we have cause to hope that it may someday shine forever in men's hearts. On behalf of Lever Brothers Company and of us at the Lux Radio Theater, may I wish all of you the happiest of holidays. We invite you all to join us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Frank Sinatra, Catherine Grayson, and Gene Kelly in Anchors Away. This is William Keeley saying good night and Merry Christmas. Maureen O'Hara and Natalie Wood appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox, producers of Captain from Castile and Daisy Kenyon. Edmund Gwen appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Cast Timberlane, starring Spencer Tracy and Lana Turner. Heard in our cast tonight were Joseph Kearns as Sawyer, Alan Reed as Macy, Bill Johnstone as Mara, and Herbert Butterfield as Judge Harper. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. And this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to join us again next Monday night to hear Anchors Away with Frank Sinatra, Catherine Grayson, and Gene Kelly. Pepsodent won by three to one. Yes, in a recent survey, families throughout America compared new Pepsodent toothpaste with the brands they'd been using at home. By an overwhelming average of three to one, they preferred new Pepsodent with Irium over any other brand they tried. They said new Pepsodent toothpaste tastes better, makes breath cleaner, makes teeth brighter. Yes, with families who made comparison tests, Pepsodent won by three to one. Be sure to listen next Monday night to the Lux Radio Theater presentation of Anchors Away with Frank Sinatra, Catherine Grayson, and Gene Kelly. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. With the original film stars, that was Miracle on 34th Street from Lux Radio Theater of December 22, 1947. The film producers had to scramble to shoot the Macy's 1946 Christmas Parade in time to make their movie. And some of those stars who were outdoors envied their cohorts who got to do their scenes inside. Valentine Davies, who wrote the original story, also wrote a short novelization of the tale, which was published by Harcourt Brace simultaneously with the film's release. Talk about cross-promotion. Sanford Barnett who did a lot of adaptations for Lux, distilled the story down to one hour. It would be interesting to know what the real Mr. Macy and the real Mr. Gimple thought of the film. It's usually thought of as a horror series, but Lights Out sometimes veered into something very different, and we'll find out how different next here on Skywave Audio Theater. Christmas time is a good time for ghost stories, and we've got one. A warning premise is also the stuff of a good story. And then there's the warning of ghosts, such as we find in a story by R.P. Gillies, who flourished in the first half of the 19th century. Mix in jealousy, a homicidal suitor, a magic ring, and some serious deceit. And you have this story from the weird circle. It's called Warning, and it comes from December 17th, 1944.
out of the past. Phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, the warning. Midnight, a voice spoke to me. Oh, Charles, what was it? It sounded like my brother Tom. Oh, my darling, it was only a dream, and it frightened you, that's all. Oh, but the voice said, Oh, Charles, don't leave Swansea. Oh, you're almost hysterical. <laughs> but this was a warning. He said that you, Charles, must not go to the house of Waverley. Waverley, what house is that? Well, it isn't one of our properties, at least. Charles, that note, that invitation from John Galton, he lives at a place called Waverley. That's right, now that you mention it. And the voice said that Waverley is death and sorrow. It was my brother Tom, I know it was, and he's warning us. Charles, don't go tonight. Promise me you won't go now. But darling, the reason I'm going is to find out what happened to your brother. It's after midnight already. I should have gone an hour ago. My brother's dead. I know it now. Secretly, you know it too. Yes, or somehow we would have heard where he is. A man like Tom just doesn't disappear. Oh, Charles, I'm frightened. When you go, I'll be here alone and afraid for you. No, Hester, I'll be all right. Oh, we thought Tom would be all right too when he went to collect the rents. It's so far away, Charles. Oh, 50 miles, that isn't far. Then promise me, promise me you won't go to John Galton's, to this Waverley, promise. All right, Hester. But after all, John's an old friend, a schoolmate, in fact. I promise, though. Now, you feel better? A little, I suppose. <laughs> then go to sleep. And I'll also promise to be back safe and sound within a fortnight. There, a kiss for the prettiest wife in Swansea. Goodbye. Goodbye, Charles. Goodbye, darling. Sir, I remember him well, Mr. Hargreaves. Thomas Shawcott, he said his name was. You say he's your wife's brother? Aye, he came to the farm here about a year ago, asked after all of us, and then went on to the manor house to collect the rent monies. You say he never returned to Swansea? I'm afraid not, my man. You see, my wife and I were away on a long honeymoon, and we didn't know of her brother's disappearance until we came back. Highwaymen, most probably. I'm sorry to hear of it. Well, thanks for your help, anyhow. I'll be on my way. I want to get to the manor house by nightfall. Get up there. See you about this time next year. I sir, thank you, Mr. Hargreaves. Good luck to you. Sir, I do recollect him. Yes, sir, I do. Fine young chap he was. Stopped here at the inn about this time of night, about ten o'clock, and took my best room. Then off he went the next morning, chipper as the dawn. Well, I left Swansea two days ago, and I have traced him this far. It's the last stop. North of here is Sir Granville's estates. By George, I do recollect something the young chap said, now that you bring him to mind, Mr. Hargreaves. Well, what is it, Hobbs? Why, he had an invitation to visit some friend or other he did, sir. Said he was off for a bit of a holiday before going back to Swansea. Invitation? From whom? Well, that he didn't say, sir. He... By George. What is it, Hobbs? That's a funny thing. Now I recollect it. 
Didn't think much about it at the time. What? Your Mr. Charkett asked after the way to get there, he did. I recollect it particularly because Elsie, my dear dead wife, sir, God bless her soul, Elsie was born a few miles from there. From where? A great big house, empty for as long as I can remember. Never thought anyone lived there at all. Waverley it is. That's it. Name of Waverley. Waverley? Suppose you might inquire, find out where he went from there. Yes, you're right, Hobbs. You suppose the leg was murdered somewhere on the road, murdered and robbed of his rent monies? I don't know, but I intend to find out. Thanks for all you've said. It's been of great help. Now, I think I'll go to bed. Oh, of course, of course. The first floor room's quite ready. I'll take your portmanteau. This way, Mr. Hargreaves. Mr. Hargreaves, sir. Mr. Hargreaves. What is it, Hobbs? I'm sorry to wake you, sir, but there's a lady here. Says she's Mrs. Hargreaves. Of course I am. Charles, it's Hester. Hester, for, for heaven's sakes, what are you doing here? I had to come, Charles, after what's happened. I couldn't stay at Swansea another minute. Will there be anything you'll want, sir? Innkeeper, tell the driver I shan't need him any longer. He might want to stay the night here. The sky's most threatening. I'll see to him, ma'am. Uh, good night. Whatever happened to make you come all the way from Swansea? Oh, Charles, I was so worried. You are all right. Of course. Hester, what's the matter, my darling? You look pale and tired. Here, let me light another candle. Charles... Last night at midnight, the voice spoke to me again. Is that all? Is that all? Charles, how can I make you understand? I've been most frightened to death. It's not what you think. It's not a dream. Well, what did the voice say? It gave another warning. It said it could only appear to me while the clock struck midnight. And then it said that you were in danger. And that if you went to that place, Waverley, the name is, you'd surely die. Oh, Charles, please, please, for my sake, heed the warning. Is that why you came then? To tell me this? I had to. Last night I lay awake for hours, wondering if you'd kept your promise not to go to John Galton. And then suddenly I couldn't bear it any longer. I hired a carriage and followed you. Hester, this is mad. I, I don't understand it. You say this it was voice... Tom, Charles. His ghost. Don't you think I'd recognize my own brother's voice? Oh, my darling. I don't understand it either. All I know is... Hester, Tom had an invitation to visit John Galton. Oh? He left the inn here at dawn, I'm told, and went on, presumably, to Waverley. I made inquiries on the road. The place is somewhere beyond the White Forest. It can't be far. Charles. I'm going there, Hester. If Tom's a prisoner, if he's been murdered... Charles, no, no, you mustn't. I won't hear of it. I won't let you go. Nevertheless, I'm going. But Tom is dead. I know he is. You can't help him now. And twice he's warned us, don't you see? For my sake, leave this thing alone. It's beyond our understanding, and no good can come of it. It's midnight. Charles! Charles, the terrace windows. The wind. Blown out the candles. Wait, I'll close it. No! Oh! Oh! Charles, look! Hester, what is it? It's the ghost of Tom. Taking form in the mist. There in the wind. Charles and Hester Hargreaves, this is the third, the last warning. Do not travel to Waverley, for there awaits everlasting death. Beware of John Galton. Go back to Swansea. Go back. Go back tonight. The ghost. It's disappeared. Close the window, Charles, quickly. There. Here, I'll light the candles again. Now, you've heard the warning yourself. Now you've seen the ghost. You know what I meant. Yes. And there was pain on his misty face and a dagger in his heart. Charles, if you love me, take me back to Swansea now. 
I'll never ask anything else of you so long as we live. If you'll only take me back tonight. But, Hester, there's Tom's murder to avenge. Oh, what can that matter now? It's done. And he warns us to leave us alone. Charles, please, heed this warning. Take me back. But I don't understand all this, Hester. Please, please, Charles, take me home. All right. I'll take you home. Hester, this is a crazy thing to do, going out in the night like this. I can barely see the road. But we're on our way, Charles. That's all that matters. If we aren't drowned in a deluge before we get there, we'll be lucky. I've hidden the gold in a box under the baggage, Hester. Charles, there's something I want to tell you, something you never knew. What's that? It's John Gelson I'm afraid of. I never told you before, but I've always been afraid of him. Oh, Hester, why? Because long before we were married, he was terribly in love with me. I didn't know it myself until one day he asked me to marry him. Oh, what's frightening about that? It was his manner when I said no. He turned pale and there were tears in his eyes and he said, I'll find a way, Hester. Someday you will be, Mrs. Galton. What happened then? Nothing, except that for months I suspected him of watching me. Now and again I'd catch a glimpse of him in a crowd. And once I saw him waiting near my father's house. After that, I never saw him again. Nor have I, since we left school. Hester, do you suppose... Oh, it's impossible that he could... Charles, look! There's someone on the road. He's hailing us to stop. Charles, no, don't. Get off the road there, man. Move to one side. Look out, we'll hit him. Charles, stop! What's the idea, man? Do you want to be run over? He's coming toward... Oh! Hey, George! Hester! There's a dagger in his heart. He's dead! He's a dead man, Charles, drive on! Come on, get up there, get up! Charles, what's the matter? Why have you stopped? Because there's no use to going on like this. The rain, I, I can't even see the road. And this forest... I don't remember this forest at all. I don't either. I've never been here before, Hester. You mean you don't know where we are, Charles? Oh, we'll find our way out. We'd better stay here till daybreak. No, no, let's go on. There must be a farmhouse nearby. Somebody to tell us the right road. Charles, let's go on. I suppose you're right. The road leads somewhere. Get up. Hester, is that a light yonder through the trees? Where? Oh, Charles, it is. Thank heaven. At least we'll find shelter. Here, Hester. Stand under the eaves out of the rain. Oh, I'm all right. There's the knocker there, Charles. All right. Hello? Hello? Will you let us in? Hello in there? Good evening, sir. My wife and I... Charles. Good evening, my friend. John Galton. I've been expecting you. Welcome to the house of Waverley.
Come in, my friend. In here before the fire. It would take the chill of the rain and the night from your bones. <laughs> Spot of wine? No, thank you, John. You say you were expecting us? Yes, I was, Charles. Hester, come and sit by the fire. Your frock is damp, I'm afraid. How did you know we would come, John? Because it was the last thing in the world you wanted to do. I think you expected only me. We met one of your... your men on the road. Oh, yes. I sent him out to make sure you were lost. He's a frightening fellow. I trust the sight of him didn't alarm you too much, Hester. He's a dead man. There was a dagger in his heart. Yes. A most disconcerting thing. What do you want with us? Well, you're my old friends, and this is my house. I would like you to enjoy its hospitality. Then, because we are old friends, John, let us go. I'm afraid here, that man... Oh, that... he won't harm you, my dear, and I wouldn't hear if you're leaving. Jacob! Jacob will show you to one of the sitting rooms upstairs, Hester. There's a fire there. Charles! Look in the doorway. Great Scott! A walking corpse! With a dagger in his heart. Send him away, please, send him away! Oh, I see our Hester's frightened. Well, she'll grow accustomed to my servants soon. Jacob! Go back! There now. He's gone. John Galton, what kind of a devil are you? What do you want of us? This thing's gone too far. Oh, I see you mistrust me. Or maybe your impatience suggests mistrust. In any case, I gladly tell you, Charles. May I suggest the library? It's just yonder beyond those doors. There we'll be alone. And leave Hester here with this place full of devilish monsters? Oh, I assure you she's entirely safe. Will you please forgive us a few minutes' neglect, Hester? Well, if it's necessary, but I do... We shan't be long. Come, Charles. I want to get to the bottom of this thing, Hester. It'll only be a moment. Then we'll be quite ready to go home. All right, Charles, but do hurry back. I promise. John, lead the way. Here. Come and sit in the light of the fire, Charles. There's some excellent wine on the table. No, thank you. As you say, it's my custom to offer a man a glass of wine uh, before he dies. Then you did kill Tom Chocolate. He sat there sipping his carrot, unsuspecting, even unafraid. No, I did not kill him. You mean he's still alive? He's here? No, he's dead. But his body is here. It serves me well, even as yours will. I knew Tom was robbed and murdered to cover it up. But I had no idea it was you. What's happened to make you like this? The answer's easy. Two things, Charles. Love and the consuming desire to kill. They are strangely akin. I don't know what you're talking about. Hester. I've been in love with her for a long, long time. What's that got to do with it? She told me once that she couldn't marry me. Because I wasn't able to give her everything she acquired for happiness. I was insanely jealous of everyone she knew. Even the places she went. Then, quite suddenly, I saw a way out. What was that? My aunt had died. She was penniless. But she did leave me Waverley. All that was left of the Gaston's great name. Suddenly I realized how well it would serve me. So I came here to live alone. I waited. Knowing the chance would come. And it did. One night in a blinding storm. I am beginning to see what you mean. Yes. A merchant traveling through the forest road lost his way in the storm. He came to Waverley and I invited him in. He drank too much wine. A knife was handy. I couldn't resist the simple thrust of his heart. And then the gold he carried was mine. Do you know? Before he died, the most extraordinary thing of all happened. 
Well, what was it? He rose up stiffly from his chair and clung to the mantel. Somehow his fingers touched the stone that moved, and then he fell heavily upon the earth. But the compartment was open, and inside it I could see the silver ring shining in the candlelight. Ring? Yes. A large ring, almost as large as a bracelet. I took it out and, and lettered in silver above it was a rhyme. Listen. These magic words at midnight red make murdered men the living dead. <laughs> you know, even as I spoke, the dead man moved. Slowly he got to his feet and he stood there waiting. I was shaken and cold with fear until I began to know what it meant. The ring, you mean? Yes, the magic ring. For centuries it had lain hidden in the chimney piece. Legend said it was given to one of the first Geltons nearly five centuries ago by a gypsy in return for her life. With it, Charles Hargreaves. I'm the most powerful man in the world. With it, the dead are at my command and the living fear me. It gives me everything in the world I want. It does not give you the right to kill. It gives me the power to control even death itself. Jacob! William! What are you going to do? Our talk is done, Charles. See? See these two men, Charles? They are my slaves. Two men who are dead and yet alive. Jacob! William! See this man! Stay back from me. Yeah. Stay back! Strong, Stop. Charles. It will be useless to resist. Let go of me. You, let it is go. It's useless, my friend, to struggle. The hands are like iron. Now you see how powerful the magic ring is. Only once have I killed a man, the first. And since then, the murdered have murdered at my bidding. I'll give you my gold if that's what you want, John. I'll give it to you gladly. But the gold is useless stuff, my friend. Don't you see? I have enough. It is your death I want, Charles. And then your body to serve me, even as these two. <laughs> You're a devil. Once you are gone that you will creep from Hester's heart and she'll forget. She'll not forget. Your magic is lost in the living. Do you think she can love you just for the asking? The power of my love is strong enough to win her to me. But I'll grant you this grace, Charles. A last grace. I'll allow you to see her again before you die. Jacob! William! Hold him here. Till the time comes. Where are you going? To offer Hester the world if she wants it. To win her! Tell her at last she is mine. John, where is Charles? What have you done to him? He'll be here in a minute or two, Hester. Now, there's, there's no need to be afraid. You've always been a little frightened of me, I think. Yes, I, I've never understood you, John. A woman's always afraid of anything she doesn't understand. Oh, my dear, fear is passing. And this will go, believe me. I do believe you. But everything here is so strange. We'll make it right, Hester. What can I do to make it right? Anything you say, I'll do it gladly. Oh, I thank you, John. Really, I should be ashamed of myself. After all, what is there to be afraid of? You see, already I'm beginning to feel at home. You're still as beautiful as ever. Still the Hester I knew years ago. Oh, I, do any of us ever change very much? I've changed. But the change was for you, all for you. Do you like me as I am, Hester? Why, we were friends, John. We were young together. Remember how you used to leave those mysterious notes in the hollow tree near the fountain? I remember I... your father's rich carriages, your beautiful gowns, and how ashamed I was of my poor looks and my clothes. Well, no longer, John. Since then, you've come a long way in the world. Then it pleases you. Oh, how glad I am. 
This house, it's, it's a luxurious house, Hester, almost worthy of your beauty. Does Waverley please you too? Why, it's a lovely house, John. I was just thinking, what, though... What, my dear? Oh, I was thinking how ably it could use a woman's touch. You men, <laughs> when you live alone, you like everything drab and colorless. All of you need someone to take care of you, to fuss over you a little, to keep your clothes neat and keep your shirt collars buttoned. Here, John, let me fasten it for you. Hester, my darling. Is that the keepsake you wear around your neck, John? It's only a silver ring. Oh. Hester, what have you done? Give it back to now me. Now I have your magic ring, John Galton. Hester, give it back. I'm not afraid of you. Now your powers are gone, and your murdered men will have to answer to my you command. You listened. You heard everything I told you. Do him. you think I'd sit meekly by the fire while you arranged to kill my husband? I was outside the door, even when those two monsters came to hold him fast. Hester, I beg of you, please give it back. John Galton, you killed my brother. You came here as a friend. You murdered my brother, Tom. Tom! With these Tom. hands, I've killed Tom. only one man, Hester. The second time is easier. And to kill one I love would be easier still. Give me back the ring. Tom! I've waited in torment for such a night as this, John Galton. As a ghost, I could never harm you. But now your strength is gone with the ring. Don't come near me! Stay back! Stay back! I have been carrying this dagger in my heart for one reason. To raise it above your chest and set it deep in your heart. Hester! Hester, stop him! Tom! Tom, he's running away out the terrace doors. He cannot escape. The magic of the ring you hold is too great. The ring, for my sake, Hester, carry the ring. It has more power than you know. Tom, Tom, come back. Let him go. Oh, Tom, come back. Come back. Charles, Charles, help me. Hester, let me go, you demons. Let me go. Charles, Charles. Hester! Let go of him, you fiends. Jacob, William, let him go. Hester, what is this? They obeyed you. They're gone. I have the magic ring, Charles. I took it from John. Quick, Tom will murder him. Help me stop him quickly. Where did they go? Out there. Out the terrace doors. Come along. I heard you calling after Tom, but I couldn't get away from those devils. Tom took the knife from his heart, and John fled. Tom wouldn't obey me, Charles. Oh, there was such revenge in his dead eyes. Here, the terrace doors. Look, the storm's over. Daylight's coming. Where do they go? Oh, Charles. Oh, we're too late. Yes, yonder on the terrace. He's plunged the knife in John's heart. Look at Tom, how still he stands. Tom said for his sake to study the ring. Look, Charles, the inscription here. These magic words... Don't read them. They bring back the dead. Well, what did he mean? Look... There, on the inside. You see? There's, there's something written in there. Another inscription. Here. Here, let me hold it up to the light. Oh, here it is. At break of day, this magic key makes dust of flesh, sets phantoms free. Hester, look. Tom's body. It crumbled. It, it crumbled into dust. The words, the magic ring. Now the murdered men are prisoners no longer. Their bodies have sunk into dust. Give me the ring. Oh, what a terrible charm it is. We must destroy the ring, Charles. You're right, Hester. It must be destroyed. So we can never harm anyone again. 
We'll take the ring and throw it into the sea. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the story, The Warning. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. got a Scottish touch in there. The estate Waverley got its name from the famous Waverley novels of Sir Walter Scott, and author R.P. Gillies wrote a book about Scott. No Mere Jewel, that was one potent magic ring, and a melodramatic struggle to get rid of it. The story was The Warning. It came from the weird circle of December 17, 1944. Next week, it's Christmas, And we'll celebrate with Phil Harris and Jack Benny and some other sounds of the season. I'm Norman Gilliland. I hope you can be with me then for Skywave Audio Theater. Arch Obler made a name for himself writing some of the creepiest stuff on radio, but he was also full of surprises. For example, this story from early in the run of Lights Out. In it, we meet three soldiers celebrating the end of World War I. They have three very different backgrounds, but soon they have one big thing in common. This is Lights Out from December 22, is a tale they tell of another Christmas, a Christmas 19 years ago. The Great War was over. War-weary soldiers and officers were at last being allowed to rest, to enjoy such recreation as soldiers might find. Leave areas were established in various parts of France, and at intervals, individuals were sent from the stations of their organizations to these areas, there to rest and refresh themselves for a brief period. The story properly begins on Christmas night, 1918, 19 years ago. A leave train was just coming to a halt in the station at Villefranche. Oh, merci, monsieur. Ah, oh, she's a bright of mine. Here you are, Mike. 
Merci, merci, Monsieur Langley. Merci. Nothing, nothing, Monsieur Old Chap. Australian. And Jack. Ah, oui, 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 oui. Vous êtes Australien, n'est-ce pas? Right, And Merry Excusez-moi, monsieur, but I, uh, s'il vous plaît, I, I would like to, uh, 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 venir ici. Oh, blasted, I can't talk the ruddy language. It is not necessary to speak the blasted language, monsieur, since I speak yours, after a fashion. Oh, beg pardon, old chap. Uh, the station master told me you wouldn't mind if I stowed myself in here, would you? Uh, I hope. I should be very glad indeed of your company. I am Captain Esme Rochefort de Gascois. Of the 212th Regiment Artillery, GPF. I'm uh, Lieutenant Horace Ballantyne of the Australian Light Horse, sir. Uh, you are welcome, monsieur. May I help you with your baggage? I'll have it stowed in half top. Uh, thank you. Uh, there. Oh, going on leave, Captain? Oui. I am not sure where yet, but c'est la guerre. One never knows where it goes in this war. Uh, too right, bigger. It was jolly good of you to share your compartment, old chap. I am only too glad. It has been rather a lonely journey so far. I am delighted of someone to talk to. Uh, First-class compartments are not too easy to copper, either. Oh, a bit cushy, this, isn't it? Not too bad, indeed. Uh, you'll pardon me, I know, but I am a bit curious to know how an Australian officer should find his way to Via France. <laughs> I don't quite know myself, Captain uh, Gascon, is it? Uh, yes. And your name is, uh, Ballantyne? Right. I must remember. Well, uh, I was at, uh, Gallipoli in the infantry with the Exocook. The third officer division, you know. Got a bit of a crack in the head, and the first thing I knew, I found myself transferred as town major, a village a few miles east of there. Nothing but Americans in it. Oh, the Americans. Uh, they are good soldiers, eh? Fair dinkum. And now you find yourself bound for leave on Christmas night. right oh, and jolly glad of it. Hmm. Where are you going, do you know? Yeah, report to the RTO at Isle of Bain. That's all I know. <laughs> you have the same difficulties in your army, I see. One never knows where one goes. You are a long way from home, my friend. right -o. A bloody long way. <laughs> Halfway around the world, you know. And you have come to fight for France. I salute you, monsieur. Uh, it's been fun. We. Oui. And now it is over. And our young men lie dead under the stars out there. Uh, we lost a few, too. Our young men, monsieur. French, British, Australian, American. Not to mention a few German chappies. Quite. Eh bien, one cannot make the omelette without breaking the eggs. A bloody lot of good eggs, friend Gascon. Oui. Oh, I wish the blasted train would start. <laughs> it is always a mystery how they control these trains. Particularly when one wishes to go somewhere in the hurry. Oh, American chap out there looking for a place, I fancy. Uh, perhaps we could invite him in here if you do not mind. Why not? If it's all right with you. Oh, he's a comrade and there is little room on the train. Right, Joe. Oh, Yank. Yank there. This way, Yank. He comes? But me pink now. The blight is black. And an officer, too. So? I have heard that the Americans have two divisions of Negroes and... They have many officers who are, as the Americans say, colored also. But I have never seen one. You don't mind if I ask him in? My dear Ballantyne, why should one mind? Is he not a man, an ally, an officer? 
Do we dislike one another because I am French and you Australian? Good chess. Yeah, we've lots of blacks in our units. What the devil's the difference? What difference does it make what color the blighter's skin is? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, room here. Uh, do you mind awfully, Lieutenant? Uh, not much room anywhere else, old chap. Oh, come in, come in. We've room for one. Thank you. I was afraid I was going to be left behind. My name's Valentine, Lieutenant Australian Light Officer. I'm Captain Melvin, 370th American Infantry. Delighted, Captain. And this is Captain... <laughs> I have to help the chap out, Captain. <laughs> I am Captain Esme Rochefort de Gascoigne of the French Artillery, Captain. Welcome. Hey, gentlemen, uh, thank you. Oh, here. Yeah. Uh, give me your musette. I'll shove it up in the rack. Oh, thank you, Lieutenant. Yeah. Feels good to get that thing off my shoulder. Uh, sit down, Captain Melvin. Yeah, thanks. Been standing around there all day long on one foot and then on the other waiting. Finally, when the train did pull in, I thought I was still going to stand there. Good of you to take me in. We are delighted. Right, sir. You're an Australian, eh, Lieutenant? Right, sir. From Adelaide. I just think of that. Where are you from, Captain Melvin? Oh, I'm from Chicago. And you, Captain Gasquan? Uh, my home is in Bayonne, as one might infer from my name. Your name, Captain? Gasquan. Bayonne is in Gascony, you see. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> it's odd, ain't it? Here we are, three of us in one railway coach, bound for somewhere. And we've come from all over the world to meet on Christmas night in France. Uh, we don't even know where we're going. Do you? Well, I haven't the slightest idea. Leave her, that's all I know. Uh, well, may as well have a spot of Christmas cheer, eh? A bottle of rather good wine in my museum. And so have I. Not to be outdone in this matter, mes amis, I also have a bottle of Lacrime Christi. Tears of Christ. A very precious wine in these days, mes amis. I do not remember how I came by it, but suffice it to say, I have it. Ah, we are about to start, huh? <laughs> we are starting. Oh, a ruddy happy crowd out there at the station. Christmas. We steal Christmas, despite the fact that most of them all want to get out of the town and go somewhere. Hmm. There is Christmas out down in Texas. In yeah. Logan. I was in the hospital at Marseille. And I, mes amis, had dinner with a German general. A German general? Uh, captured on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. Gentlemen, will you drink with me? Uh, with pleasure, we. Oui. If you will drink with me. And with me. Well, then. To Christmas, eh? Uh, yeah, to Christmas. To Christmas. <clears throat> you know, my musette's a bloody from a junk of all sorts. I was afraid I might have lost the bottle. Uh, souvenirs, huh? Oh, yes. Silly toys and things that I picked up. Given to some kid somewhere. Lord knows they have few enough. I have gifts, too, in my musette. There is no one left of my people to give them to, but... It is a sentiment. Sentiment for Christmas, uh, Suppose we all do that. Mine's packed with odds and ends. I didn't know if I'd ever get back to that outfit after this leave, so I got some souvenirs together. Shall I drink, Miss Amy? Oh, not now, thanks, Captain. I'll wait a while. I think I shall, too. Quiet. Uh, it is a beautiful night, eh? Ah, uh, clear. 
You know, if the war was still on, I'd expect to hear someone shout, Lights out, Jerry's up. Have a lot of bombs landed our laps. I hope we are done with that, monsieur. Amen. Uh, no moon, though. Yeah. But look at them stars. Oh, see that one over there? You might imagine it to be the star of Bethlehem. Very bright, isn't it? Oui. Nearly 2,000 years ago. I wonder if that same star still shines upon the earth. If it does, we wouldn't know it. Not us. Fight wars and deny the name of the man that was born under it. Oh, a religious chap? No. No, not at all, Lieutenant. A long way from it. I'm not a religious chap either. Ah, but used to have some jolly times as a kid at Christmas time, though. Church things and all that. Candles, what not. We... One is not religious, save when one sees the star shining down on him. I wonder if that could be the star. And why not, my friend? Our earth changes, but the everlasting stars change not. Well, be funny if it is, wouldn't it? Well, won't we? But our journey is long, gentlemen. If you wish to sleep... You sleepy, Captain? (laughs) That little drink of wine has affected me, I fear... I cannot keep my eyes open. Yeah, I'm a little tired myself. Stand round all day in that station. There was no place to sit down. Uh, I can always sleep myself. I propose, then, that we do sleep for a little while, my friends. Uh, talking to sleep <laughs> made me sleepy. I'm all for it. Shall I turn down the lights? If you will, monsieur. Uh, pleasant dreams. Uh, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you both, gentlemen. Yeah, and to you, Lieutenant Valentine, Captain Cascon. Yonder star shall watch over us. Nispa? The star that shone on Bethlehem. Good night. Are you asleep? I'm not. Nor I. Almost, though, I must say. I... I was thinking. It seems that I have met you both before. Somewhere. Hmm. That's really odd. Why, my friend? I was thinking the same thing. Uh, I was, too. But it couldn't be. One from France... One from Australia, one from America. We, oui, it is so. Uh, good night, my friends. Good night. Good night. Friend Gaspar, we have journeyed far, and the sign that thou didst promise to us is not yet. Peace, Balthazar. We have not yet come to the end of our journey. Behold, Melchior crieth not out. Canst thou not study his patience to be like unto him? Yet thou art tired, Melchior. Aye, I am tired and weary. Yet must we go on. No man knoweth what the end of his far journeying shall bring him. Dost thou see, Balthazar? Thou must needs have faith. 
I have faith, friend Gaspar. Yet my burden upon my shoulder is cruel heavy, and I would fain rest. Have faith, O Balthazar. Have faith, I conjure thee. Faith. Aye. Aye, lead on, O Gaspar. Whither thou goest, there will I follow thee. And also I, Gaspar. For I know that thou art inspired of God, that his hand doth lead thee. Yet not even I know what miracle he will do before our eyes. No matter. We will follow and thy road lead to death. Now, which road takest thou? That to the right hand or, or to the left? I know not. Wilt thou not call upon God, Gaspar? I kneel down, brethren. O oh Lord, Father God, lead us, thy servants, in the way thou didst set out for us. For no, Lord, Father God, but we are poor, and our eyes know not the right, and we would follow the way that thou wilt have us follow. Therefore we pray thee humbly, dear Father. A miracle. Miracle? What sayest thou, Balthazar? Behold, Gaspar, a sign from the Lord Father God. There is no sign. Behold, in the sky. A sign. A star that burneth brighter than all the stars of the heavens. O Lord God, we thank thee. The way is before us. We follow thy will. Behold, Gaspar, the star shineth upon the pathway to the left. Forward, forward, brethren. For the end of our far journeying is at hand. Certes, this is a sign from God. Behold, Gaspar, beyond the hill, the lights of a village. It is so. Now we are come to our destination indeed. Haste, friends, haste. Tellest thou what town is that, O Gaspar? Nay, I know not. Save that it be the end of our long journey. Oh, travelers! Have you seen the star? Who calls? Who art thou? It is a shepherd. See the flocks of sheep beyond the road? Seest thou the star, travelers? Knowest thou its meaning? Aye, we have seen it, O shepherd. Yet we know not its meaning. Save that a miracle of the Lord, Father God, is nigh unto us. From the blackness of the sky it sprang into blaze, travelers. Dost thou think it portends the end of earth? Nay, friend, not the end of earth. Say rather its beginning. What sayest thou? Behold, shepherd, the mantle of the Lord is upon him. He speaketh of miracles. Aye, and a miracle will come to pass. Haste, friends, haste, for this night we'll hear the voices of angels chanting and the sound of many great wings. Peace on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Glory, 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 glory to, God. to God in the highest. Verily, ye speak as men that understand the workings of the will of God. Say now, shepherd, how is yonder village named? Surely, if ye know what shall come to pass because of the star, how is it ye know not the name of the town? We have come from far lands, shepherd. Aye, what matters it if we know not such trifles as the name of a little hidden village? When we know of a miracle to be wrought in the name of Almighty God. Aye, it is so. What miracle shall come to pass? It is hidden from our ken, O shepherd. 
Yet it shall come to pass. Fear not. Aye. And such a miracle as shall set all the world to singing praises, lifting up their voices unto the heavens, crying in a loud voice, Mighty, mighty is the Lord God of hosts. Ye be not of Israel. Nay, I am from the land of the Greeks, and these my companions be also from far lands. Melchior from Ethiopia, Balthazar, a wise man of Egypt, a soothsayer unto the king. Ye have come far. Aye, so. Since many days our feet have trod the pathways of hidden unknown places. Yet always have we set our faces unto the east, obeying the bidding of a voice unheard, the guidance of a hand unfelt. And ye go now into the town? Thou hast not told us its name, shepherd. Certes, all men know that yonder town is called the town to the house of bread, even Bethlehem. Know ye that I, even I, am of Bethlehem, where was born a thousand years agone, David, son of Jesse, that was king of Israel. Tis well. For now I speak with the tongue of the Lord, the wisdom he hath put into my mouth. Behold, yonder Bethlehem whence came David, king of Israel. Now this night shall be born Bethlehem, that Messiah, that very Son of God, which the ancient prophets have foretold. And this is the miracle that shall come to pass, for he shall be born of a virgin immaculate, and his name shall be Jesus, called Christ. O thou Lord God, Father, I give thanks unto thee, that thou hast appointed me and my companions, that we shall be witnesses before all the world that the Son of God is born. Haste, my friends. We must on, for the miracle is at hand. The Spirit of God is upon him. Speak through the tongue of the Lord. Haste. O holy man, may I not go with thee, seeing thou knowest not the village, and I with my brethren was born there. Aye, thou mayest come with us, but haste, friends, haste. Behold the star, how it seemeth to beckon us on. Lo, it cometh down from the heavens and standeth above the rooftops of the town. It is the doing of God. I praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Sling thy burthens from thy shoulders, friends. Haste, haste. I marvel also that there should be lights abroad in the town. The hour is passing late, yet there is a light in every house. Perchance the men of Bethlehem rejoice that the Messiah is born. Nay, not so. For he is hidden from men, and they of Bethlehem know him not. Then what? The feast of Hanukkah is but lately over, my masters. The feast of the lights in memory of the Maccabee. And many remain. Also are there others in the town who have come to deal with the men of Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, even the tax collectors. And thus is the city full, even all the inns. Dost thou know where we shall find him, O Gaspar? Hath it been revealed unto thee? All in good time, my friend. We follow the star. Perchance he shall be born in a family of high repute. Aye, it is not fitting that the Son of God shall come from an humble home. The will of God shall be done. The child Jesus be born in the wide fields under the star, my friends. Haste. Behold, these be the walls of Bethlehem, O wise man. Yonder lieth the gate. Perchance the soldiers of the Tetrarch may refuse his admission into the city, Gaspar. Nay, they are gone away, Melchior. Ah, they all lie in the inns and public houses and corrals of the people of the town. Gaspar, 
Art thou sure indeed that we shall find him in Bethlehem? Dost doubt the word of God, Balthazar? On, on. Now, whither do we go, O Lord Gaspar? Nay, be not Lord Shepherd, for we are all humble men in the sight of God. Praise God. Praise Praise God. God. Behold how the rays of the stars shine down upon a certain street. It is the way, friends. Follow. Lo, one comes, Gaspar, in haste. Aye, but so... A chance he knoweth. Hold thou, men. Whither goest thou? Who art thou? Stand aside that I may pass. Who art thou? Know that I am citizen, even as thou art. If indeed thou art a citizen, and not a strolling player, or hawker of false jewels. Oh, speakest thou thus to me, who am the great physician? Know, man, that I am Balthus, the leech, the learned, the clever, skilled in cupping and the art of the clergyman. The saver of lives, the bringer of babes into the world. Peace! That tongue clacks like a sailor. thou art Kirurgeon, no man of Bethlehem? Aye, I am that. I am Balthus, wrestler with the angel of death. Sometime physician on the great Antipater himself. I am... Hold, I pray thee. Hast thou attended woman this night that was brought of child? And how didst thou know that, stranger? Wilt thou say aye or nay? Aye, I have done so. And look ye now. This night have I come upon a miracle, a very marvel, a prodigy of nature. Never before in all my time well, have I... cease thy clacking and speak, Leech. And who art thou thus to... Speak of the marvel that thou hast witnessed, man. Behold, not two hours have passed since one came post-haste, crying before my door. Oh, Balthus, oh, most noble surgeon, oh, saver of lives, come down in haste. And I, setting down the goblet of sack posset wherefrom I did drink... Flung open the window and looked down. To thy story, leads. to thy story. Behold, crieth the man in the street. Behold, Balthus, a woman hath need of thee in the stable, nigh unto the inn of the two oxen. In the stable? Aye, the stable. Now, I am a man of charity, and always ready to answer the call when sickness stalketh abroad. In the plague that came upon Bethlehem nine years ago... I thought always ready when thou dost smell the smell of gold, leech. Say on and quickly. If thou wilt but be still and let me... I spoke of a marvel. Say on, say on. I flung my cloak about me, and I came in haste, as ill becometh a man of my age and girth, and yet I am charitable, I say, and... Behold, in yonder stable was a woman couched in the straw of a manger, brought to bed of a child. Surely women have been brought to bed of a child in stables before, Kerrigan. Aye, so. But mark me well now. This woman was a virgin. I swear it by the holy phylactery. By my father's beard, I swear it. Verily was a child born unto her, and she a virgin. (laughs) Thou hast drunk too much of thy sack posset, neighbor. Thou a physician. I swear, Hold. Thou said enough, leech. Verily hast thou stood before a miracle this night. A miracle? In sooth, a very prodigy. Where lieth the woman thou didst attend? In yonder stable. The man did say that they'd come from Nazareth in Galilee to give his testimony unto the tax collectors. And though they beseeched the innkeepers, yet would none of them give them room, saving only this one, who, having pity upon a woman with child, did say unto them that they might find bed amongst the kine in his stable, and did charge them not. May all the blessings of God be on this innkeeper, that he hath offered shelter this night unto the Son of God. Amen. What sayest? And on thee, physician, for that thou didst lend thy hand unto her, who is the very mother of him who shall be the savior of the world. 
Verily, I know not who thou art, old man. Yet I perceive that thou hast the gift of prophecy. If I have served, then I am glad. For I took naught from them. And the babe did look upon me with a look that I shall ne'er forget. Though I live to be the last on the earth. Now I crave thy blessing. If thou dost speak sooth, I am most blessed among men. Verily shalt thou stand at the right hand of him who hath come to the earth, physician. Thine was the hand that first touched him. Verily art thou blessed. I thank thee for thy grace, friend. Go now inside the stable. I go to the temple to render thanks unto God. For verily I believe thee. Now, my friends, tis the end of our long journey before us. Come with me, I pray, each of you. Come and fall down and worship the infant Jesus, Son of God, which will be called the Christ. Praise unto Praise. him. Praise unto the Son of God. I will not go in. I am not worthy. Nay, shepherd, there be none of us worthy to touch his hand. Yet there be none too humble to do him reverence. Come. I come, shepherd. waneth a little. Shadows fall upon us. The star paleth before his glory. Nay. Nay, Gaspar. Behold. Behold in the sky a sign. A sign. Oh, Father, Lord God. A sign. The shape of a man crucified upon a cross. To, uh, oh, I say, uh, what's the matter? Uh, I was dreaming, I guess. What? Well, where, where are we? I <laughs> it was a dream, but I saw you too. Uh, you saw us? It's hard to remember, but I. Did you, did you dream of three men, Melvin? I. Yes. I... I did too. Gaspar? And Melchior? And Balthazar? Gaspar? And Melvin? And Valentine? Good heavens! Look! Look at our shoes! All of us! What? Straw. Where did... Straw! From a stable. And that... That smell... What? Gentlemen... I have been in the East. I know what that smell is. It is myrrh and frankincense. Lights out. 
especially written for radio, comes to you each Wednesday at the same time from our Chicago studios. This is the National Broadcasting Company. There you have an old story in new clothes, or new uniforms, you might say. That was Lights Out from December 22, 1937, the work of Arch Obler, who would soon get back to what he was best known for, radio horror. Prepare to step into the weird circle next. This is Skywave Audio Theater. <laughs> 